This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. TNA is the best wrestling in the whole world. Oh, shit! It's Vince Russo! Oh, yeah, you could be king, king, king of these mess. You <laughs> I am the heartbreak kid. Shawn Michaels, cousin. That's about some unadulterated bullshit. This is BS. This sucks. I've lost my objectivity and I don't give a damn. Welcome everybody to You've Got to Be Kidding Me, episode number 18, where we cover TNA history one month at a time. This episode we're covering November 2003 in the company that is TNA Wrestling. I'm Garrett Kidney. I'm joined as always by my butch co-host Liam Jones. Liam, hello. And I'm joined by my budge co-host. Boom! It's all about the butch. (laughs) That was a very good tweet. Did you see that tweet? I did see that tweet. Well done, John Silver. Good job. I mean, listen, it's stupid, but, like, who can care? Pete Dunne, probably, but... I feel bad for Pete, but, like, that's about it. Because, listen, not to read too much into the man's facial expressions, but it did look like he was not digging it whatsoever. Yeah, and, like, you know, people who work for other companies are allowed to enjoy the other companies, but, like, you know, my man was tweeting about Regal and stuff, so he was watching that, uh, he was watching Revolution, you know he's like, oh, maybe I made the wrong choice. And then he's called up to TV and it's like, oh, we finally got your character. You're going to be Butch. No last name. Not even Butch. butch done. Just Butch. Yeah. Uh, it must be frustrating to be a pawn in the whims of a old man's comedy bits. And here's your little hat. And you'll make a bunch of faces. And then not to mention, like, obviously this is much, much worse, but they... Called up, coming this character, and then immediately you're involved in a match where Biggie gets his neck broken. Yeah. Like, just an unfortunate, like, series of events. Not a fun first night on the WWE main roster. No. Just all around pretty terrible. Not a particularly good evening all around on WWE SmackDown. No. But, um, yeah, I don't know. I hope everyone turns it around. Like, I was thinking today... Because I was listening to the Voices of Wrestling flagship podcast with special guest host Suit Williams, friend of the show. Yes, hello, Suit. It's a patron. It's very kind to give us money, which is always nice. And he made a really good point where it's like, even like, Triple H wasn't going to make this show like the best show in the world, right? But like, 
at least if Raw and SmackDown were NXT, <laughs> things would be pretty fun, you know? Mm. Like, at least they, they had a clear vision and they had an identity, even if that wasn't an identity that like a lot of people vibed with. And they had focus on guys and they let guys be themselves for the most part. So, like, at least we would have had that at the top level. And for all its faults, it was a wrestling show. Yeah. That's the upsetting bit. It's like, even if it would, you know, probably wouldn't have... I mean, no wrestling company's going to always be for you. Always, you know what I mean? There's always going to be mm-hmm. something that you're like, ah, this doesn't do it for me right now. But it would have been better than the alternative. Yes, because we see the alternative every week and we can say demonstrably anything is better than the alternative, frankly. Yeah, at least with, like, NXT, even though I wasn't a... A weekly watcher once we had finished Wednesday War Games. Like, I'd still parachute in for things. You don't parachute into 2.0 now? No. I, 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 only time I watched it was because I was like, okay, what does it actually look like now? <laughs> Funny memes. Dolph Ziggler, NXT champ. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Which, like, I'm, I don't even think is, like, necessary. Like I, like, I like Dolph, so I'm fine with Dolph being a champ or something. But it's like, what a weird turn of events more than anything. More than, like, funny to me, it's just a weird thing. Because, yeah, they did the hard pivot that this is no longer the the indie cool guy show and it's now the weird Vince Russo spin-off with a bunch of people who are very inexperienced. But then your first three champions of that era have Tommaso Ciampa and Dolph Ziggler as your champions. It's like, okay. This, I want I'm not sure you understand what this is meant to be still, but okay. Do you, I mean, this isn't the the NXT WWE talk podcast, but <laughs> do you think that they like, they just, the plan is to bring Braun Breaker up to the main roster. So they're just like, yeah, put it on Dolph. I think they'll have him beat him for it over WrestleMania weekend again. And he'll be a two time champ. Okay. I mean, that's fair. I'd rather they could at least commit to the Braun Breaker. They should, he should win the belt. They should just bring him up at WrestleMania. He should beat whoever wins Reigns and Lesnar and they should strap him and send him to the moon. Sure. Why not? I don't know. There needs to be... Uh, I hate to use their own verbiage, but some big shake-up there. But that needed to be a big shake-up there for like it's a decade. It's time to so. shake things up a little. Yeah. I don't know. I just... It'd be nice if that company was really good. Mm. But, you know, probably not... I mean, I always say, like, five years and a decade or a, a millennia in this business. So, let's... I'm interested in seeing where with this company or what it even looks like in the next decade. It's gonna Because it's going to be completely different from now. So other than WWE, is there anything else going on in your life? Uh, I play WWE 2K22. Okay. I'm going to ask you a very specific question that I need you to answer. Sure. Taking out the fact that it's improved from the previous very bad version, is it actually a good video game? I think, gameplay-wise, mm-hmm. it is a good professional wrestling video game. Mm-hmm. My only big negative on it is it doesn't have a lot of meat on the bones. So wait till next year? I mean, it feels like it's a really good skeleton for next year. But I think they put a lot of effort into it. You can tell they put a ton of effort. Almost like their jobs are on the line for it. But like, yeah, the gameplay is really, really fun. The gameplay is clearly the thing that's far and away the best thing about it. But everything else, I wish there was a little more to it. Mm. Like, I like GM mode. I've been playing a bit of GM mode. I think it's pretty fun. But I just want a bit more of it, you know? And I like Universe, but I'd like a little bit more of it. And I like the showcase, but I'd like another showcase, you know? like I, It's a one-and-done playthrough of that. It was good. It was really good. but And it was probably the best version of the, the showcases that they've ever done, because they morphed these uh, 
the real life cliffs and the match together like really seamlessly and it looked really nice. I think visually it's like the best WWE game that's ever been there, but like, you know, it's not a gigantic bar to cover. All in all, yeah, I think it's a, it's a good game. Hmm. That being said, I don't think you would be completely out of like your rides or anything to wait for another year to see where it develops or wait to see until it goes on special or something like that. I will give them credit. I'm very impressed with their DLC lineup. They have like 28 people coming out in that season pass, which is like a remarkable amount of content for what they normally put in DLC. Isn't it mostly people who were like in the game two years ago, though? There's, there's definitely a few of those, but mm. there's a lot of new people in there, too. There's a lot of me mm, in here. <laughs> I'm also very curious to see if there's a second season pass, because all of these, this first season pass only runs through to like August. They're clearly going to release 2K23 in September, October. <laughs> that'd be that'd be really that'd be really uh, impressive. I don't think impressive is the right word. Listen, if they take another two years and make the next one, it'd probably be very very good. I imagine they'll take 18 months. Though it, I always thought it probably makes more sense to release this game every year in the run up to WrestleMania than it does to release it at the end of the year. Mm, makes more sense, sure. So maybe they might stick with March as their general release window every year instead of uh, October or whenever it's usually out. Mm. And that, I, I assume that they'll end up sticking with 2K after this one because it was pretty wildly well received. Yeah, I'll I'll still wait till it's heavily, heavily, heavily discounted. And you'll get it on PC so you can play with me. No, I'll probably get it on PS5. But oh, come on, man! I don't have literally that. nothing. You, you literally do my chance to play it if if I get it on PC. Then I will never play it. <sighs> but it will be probably deeply discounted by June, and that's when I'll buy it. But yeah. I'm still dubious. I'm still skeptical that there's a bunch of people who are like, I'm used to the ways in which this is bad and it has less of them, so it's good, as opposed to it's actually good. Yeah, I, which I think is a like fair mindset to go in with. Because, like, very clearly it is a gigantic improvement, and that is its main thing here, is that, like, they fixed a lot of the problems with it, they made the gameplay actually fun to play, but as a standalone, I think it still does pretty well for itself. Because... I don't know, like, the pantheon of top wrestling games, it's, you know, it's not up in the tippity top, but it's probably only a notch or two below. So it's one of the best wrestling games ever made as well. <laughs> I mean, top 20, probably. Well, there's only been, like, 50 wrestling games, though. That's, that's what I'm saying. There's not that many wrestling games, man. <laughs> and there's not that many good wrestling games on top of it. It's up there with the best 2K releases. That's a low bar. There's some good ones in there. Every time somebody says it's a good one, though, I buy it and it's bad. That's fair. That's the reason I'm so skeptical. People are like, no, this one's good. It's like, you've tried to pull that game with me before, and yeah. I bought it, and it's still bad. Yeah, but if you, I think also that if you're going in with like, I'm going to not like this, you're probably just not going to like it. Wow, I would never operate in bad faith, Liam. Uh, I don't know. It seems like you live in the bad faith. Wow. I'm in pain. Why? I decided to try and work out, and I have like a relatively small weight that I lifted like twice, and now my left arm can barely move. Gotta get on those protein. I'm clearly a a shallow husk of a man that can no longer do anything without hurting himself. You just do your your um you do your walks, just turn them into jogs. No, then I don't end up doing too much exercise. <laughs> don't think you can do too much exercise when the the equivalent is just walking. But walking is fine. Walking is basically not even exercise. That's what I'm saying. If you just turn like half of it into exercise you'll be set uh, no yeah 
So yeah, I'm just sitting here in a degree of discomfort. Anytime I straighten my arm out, it's like, oh, it's not like super sore, but it's just uncomfortable. Mm. So that's that's my suffering. Speaking of suffering. <laughs> what a pivot. The month that is November 2003 in TNA Wrestling, Liam. Full of suffering. It kind of is, isn't it? I don't know. I didn't mind this one. Maybe it's just because we came off a really, really, really bad one. Yeah. But ironically, I think the worst show of the month is the one we did the watch along for. Sure is. If you go to tnachat.com and listen to our watch log of NWA TNA pay-per-view number 70, which, frankly, I would encourage you not to do. <laughs> but I mean, do it if you're like, like, Freud. Like, if you just want to hear pain and suffering. If you would like to hear two people get just so incredibly bored by a show that they will entertain themselves with literally anything else. Yeah. Live tweets of the MSG show. Or watching Sacrifice on another screen. That's what NWA TNA pay-per-view number 70's watch-along at TNHad.com is for you. It is maybe the worst piece of audio we've ever done, which might make it the best. I don't know, but mm, it's probably the worst. I like that stuff. Yeah, I don't know. It's a rough one. Yeah, it's it's just, it's another one of those months where, like, the crowd just does not give a shit. And we'll talk about that. There's, that that's a, that's a, one of our news notes for the month of the crowd not giving a shit. But it's it's amazing just how quickly and suddenly this company became so cold. Yeah, that was a big note for me throughout the month, too. I was just like, how did this company that was so hot at times get to being so, so quiet and cold? Before we delve into the news... Uh, because of talking about the Patreon and how we did something really bad, we also did something really good. Did we, Liam? Yeah. Rain Takers, the best name. Rain Takers? Yeah, we got it, Rain Takers, right? Yeah. The best name for a podcast series that has ever happened coming is in your feeds. I think the first episode's free still. I don't know. Was that a limited thing? I don't make these decisions. But it's out there. We reviewed New Japan, New Beginning 2012. We're just going to keep going till we keep going, I guess. There was some Wrestle Kingdom notes in there as well. It was a fun time. I enjoyed it. You enjoyed it. We all enjoyed it. Yeah, so we're going to run through New Japan from 10 years ago for as long as until we get bored. Which might be for like, until, like Liam basically just wants to get to Kenny Omega. So it'll probably be for like five years. Yeah, when Kenny leaves, (laughs) that's... uh, Kenny leaves or when um, the Naito Okada wrap-up happens at the Dome. That seems like the two big endpoints, but also there's a good chance for it's like, fuck this before then. Yeah, I'm certainly not doing a retrospective of Clap Crowd New Japan, I'll tell you that yeah. much. But the idea is we're covering the shows on the 10-year anniversary of them, so we did New Beginning, we're doing a little catch-up, we'll do New Japan Cup probably next weekend, or, the, or probably next, the, sometime the week after next, I'd imagine we'll record it when we do Rinka King next, so we'll do Rinka King and then the next episode for the uh, for the... Uh, the anniversary show, not New Japan Cup. The anniversary show will go up. But yeah, so uh, it'll be a new little Patreon thing. So every month you'll get whatever the, the New Japan show was 10 years ago, a, a retrospective sit-down watching that. Uh, and I think it's good fun to watch good New Japan pro wrestling. Yeah, it was nice to talk about wrestling, which I actually had like elongated thoughts on the in-ring <laughs> about, instead of just like, yeah, it was a cool X Division match. You're saying you don't have elongated thoughts on all the great matches in NWA TNA? Would you like me to look? In th- I mean, the one that I had the most was the cage match, and that was because that was actually just a very good match. Mm. What match has the most notes this week? I had a weird amount of notes for Abyss and AJ. I had a- I have some notes about Ekmo and Tsuyaki versus <laughs> The Gathering. Of course. By note, I mean note. 
So yeah, that's sitting in the, the Patreon feed, tnachat.com, patreon.com slash getting in. As Leah mentioned, it's free. The first episode is free. So if you'd like to listen to our episode about New Beginning 2012, featuring the Rainmaker Shock, featuring Okada becoming IWGP Heavyweight Champion, you can go listen to that at patreon.com slash getting me or tnachat.com. And you can try it out. And maybe if you like it, you can subscribe and you'll get more. Ooh. Yeah, if more people subscribe, we'll do more things. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, if you pay us more money... You'll get more things. We should have one of those gimmick ones. That's like, <laughs> 10 grand a month. And if you do it, we'll be your friend. I don't know. Yeah, parasocial relationships. That's what this is all built on, right? Oh, God. If we can monetize it in a second. Isn't that right? Best friends. That's all we call our audience. Oh, I thought you were taking shots at Chuck Taylor. <laughs> no, not, not quite. So that takes us into the news for the month. The first story of which is something we'll also talk about when we're talking about the the stuff on the shows themselves. But that is TNA bringing in Lex Luger. Sure. So this was not long removed from the death of Miss Elizabeth, who was living with Lex Luger at the time when Lex Luger was being investigated for potential murder. And it, it was quite controversial. People were not entirely pleased. Like on on May first, two thousand three, Elizabeth died in their their townhouse they shared in Marietta after mixing pills of hydrocodone and alprozomax with vodka. Luger was arrested after a search of the residence revealed a number of illicit controlled substances, including anabolic steroids, oxycodone, synthetic growth hormone, testosterone, and alprazolam. Not a drug name, so I can't pronounce drug names. He was charged with 13 felony counts of drug possession, released the following day, but Miss Elizabeth's death was eventually ruled an accidental death. But this was right in the height of the, the aftermath of that, so... TNA was considered quite controversial to actually bring in Lex Luger. Not exactly a peak time. And, it, you know, because it just always feels like, hey, we're going to try and profit off this news story, this horrific event, which is never a good look. Yeah, and by all accounts, WWE did a, a, a lot of weird, like, coverage of this because Luger's 911 call was played over and over again on WWE Confidential. That's insane. And, and yeah, when you think about what modern WWE is, and then to think they were playing the 911 call on one of their internet shows, it's mad back in 2003, a different world. Yeah, um, I don't know much about this. Yeah, and headlines were shown sensationally during WWE TV, insinuating Liz's death may have been the result of a suicide or homicide long after authorities had ruled that out, so there was a bunch of stuff like that. What the fuck? Yeah, WWE, very strange and bad company. But... Like I, I, I'm with you. I'm the last person. I can't really speak authoritatively to the death of Miss Elizabeth or the circumstances around that. So I, I will leave that to other people. I will simply suggest that, not even suggest, I will say that there was a great, great deal of controversy around their decision to book Lex Luger in a tag team match. It was him and Jeff Jarrett against AJ Styles and Sting for the main event of the second show of the month. So they they decided to bring in Lex Luger and it, it created so much controversy that like for the first time, I think in TNA history... Dixie Carter actually released a statement about it. I don't feel like it would be appropriate for me to read this statement in her voice, so I will I will bow out from this one. We will wait until the next Dixie press release in order to... Yeah, until there's a more fun one. So Dixie's full statement, It is rare that TNA ever responds to media, no matter how off it may be from the fact, but we strongly believe it is appropriate at this time to address what is being said about Lex Luger appearing on our November 12th pay-per-view telecast. TNA is about opportunity for wrestlers new and established. For the fans, TNA provides a weekly program that showcases today's hottest talent, 
introduces the stars of tomorrow and provides the opportunity to re-experience wrestling icons. Since its inception, TNA has paid homage to the NWA legends who have laid the foundation for the company. As far as TNA is considered, we could not be more proud of our entire roster who give their heart and soul week after week to build this special group. We believe in being compassionate and giving guys a chance, from new, incredibly talented young men to veterans who may need lifting up when trying to change their lives. Surrounding a man with the kind of environment we enjoy backstage at TNA can only be considered a good thing. We are about accentuating the positive, not the negative. Literally ripping the Paul Heyman quote out there. When our talent approaches management and recommends giving someone an opportunity, we listen. And that is the case with Lex Luger as well as others. The success of bringing Lex to TNA won't be measured with pay you buys, then what's the point of booking him? It will be measured by what a man does with an opportunity given. As a company, if any talent becomes a negative force in the locker room, then they are no longer welcome to be part of our team. And that has been proven on occasion and will continue to be our manner of operation. The Ultimate X match, Raven's Clockwork Orange House of Fun, and the current X Triple Chance Tournament are the kinds of things created to generate buzz and increase buys for TNA because it's outstanding wrestling in a unique format. Really? About the Triple Chance X Division? All right. <laughs> but to take advantage of a difficult point in someone's life is not practice of our company. Our philosophy may be uncommon in the wrestling business, but our goal is to create a different kind of company inside the ring and out. Okay, so my uh, first half of that statement is complete nothing, so you can ignore that. Second half of it's pretty eye-rolly, like talking about your wonderful backstage environment, mm. which we just know isn't true <laughs> at yeah. this point. Like we've we've read over what's happened backstage in Tina over the last year. We know what things will take place over the, the rest of the history of the company, but. I also get the point, but then the thing that you have to like realize here is that's not the point people are trying to make with this either. They're not mm. saying you can't bring people in and give them second chances. They're saying don't do it in the middle of the story. Yeah. Like, if you had have waited and there was more time and people had come to the conclusions that they came to eventually, like, sh- sure, like you can do sort of something like this, but to do it in that moment with everything still going on, it's just, it's grimy. Yeah, it's still incredibly raw. As mentioned, Elizabeth died in May. This show took place in November. That's only six months after a pretty large tragedy that people are still dealing with and processing and grieving over and maybe have mixed feelings about the the other people involved in. So to to book them and then be like, listen, we're just trying to rehabilitate them is... Yeah, it's it's just it's the again it's the wrong side of exploitative that makes it feel a little sleazy. Yeah, it's uh, and which is like why that is a frustrating uh, statement. But also, what do you expect to say? Mm, yeah, uh, it's like no, sorry guys, you're right. But it's always the case with companies; they're never like, oh, sorry guys, you're right. It's always like, no, 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 no. Listen, listen, listen. We're doing the right thing here. Mm. Dixie does allude to it in that quote that she does give people chances that are recommended to them. There's a reason they booked Lex Luger. He was recommended to them by Sting. I had assumed it was Sting's recommendation. 
So from Dave Meltzer and the Wrestling Observer, it was a big shock to almost everyone that Lex Luger was being brought in for the November 12th pay-per-view in a tag team match with Jarrett versus Styles and Sting. This was almost 100% Sting's doing. Sting strongly asked for the favor but didn't demand it. Sting wanted to help Luger as the two have a long history together to the point that he arranged his flight from Los Angeles to Atlanta instead of Nashville so he could pick Luger up and drive with him to the show. The original plan was for Abyss to be in the Luger slot, but obviously once they booked Luger, they put Luger in there instead. Mm. There was there was a lot more like playing the man, not the ball stuff involved in this as well, where there was a lot of like, oh, this is uh, disrespectful to the people who helped build NWA TNA. It's like, fuck off with that, really, though. <laughs> yeah, who cares about that? Because like the core of this company has always been an element of, well, it's surprises, it's freaking Perry Saturn showing up, it's Roddy Piper showing up, it's Sting showing up. We're literally in the midst of two months of Hulk Hogan not coming to the company and the company bending over backwards to try and appeal and banner to Hulk Hogan. The Road Warriors showing up, David Flair showing up. This company was built on this idea anyone can show up at any time. Yeah, so like the whole idea of NWATNA over the the nearly a year and a half we've covered it so far has been people showing up as surprises. So like you might not like Lex Luger, you might not like the circumstances around Lex Luger. Don't sit in your high horse and pretend it's like oh it's a slap into the face to the young guys who are building the company that it's a show of non confidence in those people. It's like no, it's not. Go away. This is the longest plane being flying over me that I've ever heard in my life. It's been going on for like a minute. Is it just circling your house? I can still hear it. Is it like Liam's recording a podcast? Let's let's just fly <laughs> a plane around his house in circles. Yeah, maybe it's a drone that's like listening in. Trying to get the podcast early. It's like, oh, this podcast has already been late enough as it is. We need to get the early you've got to be kidding me scoops. Maybe it's suit. He knew. He's like, I want to know what's going on in the podcast. I want to know what they're saying about me. My suit senses are tingling. <laughs> we'll talk more about this Lex Luger story when we get to the actual stuff in the shows themselves and whether or not Luger was any good and what the, the, the bill to him having the match was itself. But needless to say, one of the bigger controversies in TNA history, the Dixie Carter actually released a statement for the first time in TNA history about this. One of the biggest controversies in TNA history so far. Well, yes. <laughs> Uh, it, it will be lapped at some point. So, Hulk Hogan update for the month, Liam? Oh, uh, can I guess the update without reading it? Go on. Is it that he won't be coming in? No, we haven't come to that stage yet. Oh! Yes. What a twist! There, there are swerves and twists to this story. You have to wait till December until we're like, no, he's not coming in. I mean, I know that he's not coming in. <laughs> We're still in November now, so we're still in the, hey, we're still flirting with each other. That show's definitely still happening in February, right? Yeah, definitely, yeah! But everyone knew. Hulk Hogan had his knee surgery on October 31st, according to a source with knowledge of the situation. The same source reports that many of the TNA office structure now view Hogan's knee surgery as a blessing in disguise because it gave <laughs> the company time to properly prepare for the pay-per-view event. Most in the office don't believe that Hogan elected to have the surgery simply to delay the pay-per-view. Oh, guys. Oh, Oh no, he really loves me. Instead, they believe he was having legitimate knee problems that required the immediate surgery. Why would Hogan go through with the big angle in Japan and get everything started just to back out? Asked one observer who believes Hogan's surgery could not wait until after the pay-per-view. I think because he was perfectly fine shooting something where he was already doing something in Japan as opposed to having to actually go and work for TNA. He'll just do the angle and yeah, sure. And then hope that WWE still come calling and they still didn't. Yeah, because it's 
news. <laughs> it's keeping his name in the headlines. Again in the, oh, you poor souls. There is also talk in TNA that Hogan is planning to work long-term with the company. Well, eventually he does, to be fair. Yeah, it's just very long-term. And he's not going to start for a while. And he was so loved for the entire run there. There has uh, been plenty of discussions discussions between Hogan and TNA about working together on an overseas tour, which both parties feel would draw well because of Hogan's star power overseas. As of now, Hogan is only committed to work the pay-per-view, which is tentatively scheduled for late February. One TNA source wouldn't rule out the possibility of Hogan agreeing to return to WWE for WrestleMania 20 for a major payoff, but the source added that Hogan working WrestleMania wouldn't necessarily mean he couldn't work with TNA after that event. If anything, TNA officials believe Hogan would be a bigger draw after appearing at WrestleMania, which I guess they're not wrong. That would make sense. But also, he's probably not going to appear in TNA after doing WWE's biggest show of the year. That depends. And he like he didn't do very many at the time. He returned uh, the year after in 2005, which was the Vince match, wasn't it? 2005? Uh, not my era, unfortunately. I'm pretty sure that was the Hogan-Vince match they returned for. And they played off of all of this that uh, Vince and Hogan had a falling out in 2003. Vince is always smart with Hogan. Like, eventually he knew it's like... We can bring him in for like a year, six months, do like a couple things with him, and then we gotta let him get him back out there again because we can't let him fester. We have to keep bringing him in, kicking him out, bringing him in, kicking him out. He knows he's too much of a political force to leave for too long, or else he'll like rot the entire company from within. Or even like he'll just he'll build his clique, you know. You can come in, you can wrestle me, you can wrestle Sean, then we'll let you go again, then we'll bring you back and let you go again, yeah. You come in, you can work with Edge, you can do the Mr. America thing, then you're gone again. You got the red, white, and blue running through your veins, Liam. Ah, don't I know it. A note I found quite funny. New Japan's October 18th TV was a two-hour show covering the October 13th Tokyo Dome. Then they aired the Hogan-Jeff Jarrett angle. The Japanese angle was a little different from the TNA version. This showed a lot more as Chono not only made the save, but beat the piss out of Jarrett. Hogan thanked Chono and they left together talking and it was way more to put over Chono and Hogan on the same side. That's very funny. I would have liked to have seen that full extended cut. Of Chono running back to just beat the hell out of Jarrett. I, you know what's funny? I would be very interested in a 2003 Chono Jarrett match. Just because it wouldn't be great, but it'd be fun for me to see. I would love to see what the negotiations for this angle were, where it's like, alright, he's going to come in, he's going to hit Hogan with the guitar and leave, and that's our angle, and then I guess he comes back and Chono beats him up and that's your angle? You sound good? I want to say that. And yeah, you're right, the political dynamic of that is interesting, because were they also just like, we in no way have any plan of bringing Jared to Japan <laughs> at all, so it's going to be very confusing <laughs> for some of the Japanese fans who are like, all right, clearly Jarrett's coming in, I guess. Mm. So we need to make it very clear that this is just a nerd that Chono beats up and is never being seen again, and the point of this angle is that Hogan and Chono are pals after their match. Imagine if they just did that now. Like, Mance Warner, <laughs> right, <laughs> comes in, lays out some big... Uh, I'm trying to think, Moxley, right? <laughs> Lays out Moxley in New Japan, and we just never see him ever again. And then they go wrestle their GCW match. Yeah, that'd be cool. <laughs> just <laughs> what a weird dynamic that would be. I guess it can't really happen these days where New Japan is a global company. Like, like it's fine to have an angle for America and an angle for Japan in 2003, where realistically the majority of Americans aren't going to see the angle for Japan and the majority of see, Japanese people. I don't even people necessarily aren't. mean the split angles. I just mean the idea of here's a guy showing up and doing something, and we're never going to book him again. Yeah, 
Well, until 2015 when he joins the Bullet Club. It doesn't count. <laughs> There's this long-term stories everywhere, Liam. Uh, it's very. It's funny that that's Jarrett and Hogan. Hmm. For the big pay-per-view, Fort Campbell, Kentucky is now being talked about along with Las Vegas and Tampa as a potential location. The upside of Fort Campbell is that it's a military base, which we had mentioned. You basically guarantee a nice-sized packed house. So the crowd will be rowdy, particularly for Hogan, which is also good for Jarrett because he's in the match. Jimmy Hart, whose son may be stationed there by the time of the show, his son is currently in Iraq at the time of press, came up with the suggestion, and it's only an hour northwest of Nashville. But yeah, it's still fun that they're like, oh, look at all these potential places we could hold the show. That's a, a fun. I like the last line there. Uh, Toby Keith has agreed to do something on the show as well, and they're trying to get Willie Nelson. I would have loved a Toby Keith run in callback, or he screws Jared out of the match with Hogan and then does some poses with Hogan. That would one hundred percent been the finish, right? Yes. Or at the very least, they would have done some sort of like post-match angle with Toby Keith. Or maybe Toby Keith turns on Hogan and it's Toby Keith and Jeff Jarrett against Willie Nelson and Hulk Hogan. Oh, that's that's that'd be that'd be cool. If that match had have happened, they were going to start it with, like, Jarrett laying down, right? Oh, that's absolutely that. And then, yeah, Hogan does the, the pose in the confliction and then does pin him and Jarrett kicks out. Yeah. Well, like, Hogan's just confused and goes, oh, brother, I'm not doing it. <laughs> and then Jarrett's like, ha I've tricked you and tries to roll him up or something. Or the entire match is Jarrett lays down to try and play mind games, but then Hogan leg drops him and pins him. <laughs> that would be the best, actually. That'd be a great finish. <laughs> And then he does his poses, and he he's only done a leg drop. With the the red, white, and blue is running through his veins, and he leaves. No, then Jared attacks Toby Keith. Save. And then he's the NWA champion, just haven't done one move. I would be into that. Before, of course, he drops the NWA title to Raven. Ooh, oh, imagine the big Raven Hogan feud. Honestly, I would have loved Hogan to win that belt here in 2003 TNA, just for like the political trying Nightmare? to get the belt off of him. Yeah. Like, imagine that. Imagine the negotiations of trying to get him to lose to somebody. He would have vacated due to injury or something. Yeah, because, like, especially somebody other than Jared. Because, like, he's not losing to Styles. He's not losing to Raven. He might lose it to Sting. Yeah, I think that's about the only person you could get get him to do a job to. Mm. Drop it to Sting. Sting drops it to Jared. Jared drops it to Raven. Or Sting just drops it to Raven. Sting, Sting ain't dropping it to Raven. Sting, I think Sting would drop it to Raven. That'd be a cool match. In the 2004 NWA, I guess by this time it would have been. So yeah, we'll have more on Hogan next month as the, the, the negotiations finally eventually do break down. I, I would have loved to have seen this alternate reality. I think we said before, we said because we talked about this extensively last month, of course. It was the only thing to talk about last month. Yeah, but there's two separate segments on YouTube, both of which are 40 minutes for just talking about Hogan. So like we talked about that for nearly an hour and a half on last, on last episode. But I do think Hogan entering TNA in 2003 is a lot more interesting than Hogan entering TNA in 2010 turned out to be. Because one, he's young enough and healthy enough that he will probably be able to have more than one match. Like if he wrestled Jared, he'd probably be able to have a couple matches at least and be like a semi-regular. But also, as we mentioned, there is just nothing for TNA to lose. Like this company has nothing going on for it at the moment. It's not like 2009 where it has all these cool young wrestlers and an identity and like big stars. Now it's just like they desperately need something and Hogan would have given them something and it would have been interesting to see play out. Probably would have helped them get TV. Mm. And like, let's be real, it's not their money at this point. (laughs) That's true, it's pandas, so you might as well throw it at Hogan. Yeah, if you have the opportunity. But it was not meant to be. I wonder if, like, it would have kicked things off for them in any sort of way. 
I doubt it. I think he would have worked a couple of big pay-per-view matches that would have done a number and would have been good for the company. But then probably, as you mentioned, vacated the belt because of injury and was never seen again. I also think that there's a legitimate chance if Hogan comes in, this company isn't alive through some sort of long-term butterfly effect spiraling. Uh, like Because it happened again in 2010, where the crowds after the first couple of months of Hogan were just so dead. There was nothing going on. And it happened here in October 2003 as well, and November, where Hogan was flirting with the company and suddenly the crowds just gave up on life. Yeah. Is there a thing about Hogan and this company where, like, it just sucks the life out of it? Even if he doesn't show up, in the case of 2003, it just sucks the life out of it. Do you think people just have a Hogan fatigue at this point? Yeah, and coming off of WCW, where, like, I think even at this stage, people were very much blaming Hogan as one of the, the primary causes of the death of WCW and his endless politicking and his refusal to lose to anybody. So him protecting his spot and his cronies protecting their spots in WCW, is it was widely accepted as one of the bigger reasons WCW died. So maybe a bunch of people looking at TNA and seeing Hogan come in as like, oh, it's just going to go the way of WCW again. It's not like they had a lot go on for them. But anything they did, it's just the Hulk Hogan show now, isn't it? Mm, it's interesting. And like that is a fair criticism because they made it the Hulk Hogan show before he even showed up. <laughs> Everything about this show is Hulk Hogan. Every Jeff Jarrett promo is about Hulk Hogan for two months now. I think that's also a different, a differentiating factor as well. Because like when he was doing these WWE shots at this time, he was just a part of the show. Mm. With this, he's the whole show. Yeah. And I think that's a different aspect to it, too. We will have more on Hogan talking about the shows themselves and more on Hogan on our next episode to cover in December. So uh, a thing we were talking about uh, very early on this show about uh, offering bundles. TNA are now doing that. NWA TNA announced a new price structure for its weekly pay-per-views. Customers can pay an entire month's worth of pay-per-views for the same price as one WWE pay-per-view, $34.95. It's probably not worth it. <laughs> like, you're probably better off just getting... 2003 backlash or whatever. Let's <laughs> see the Rock against Bill Goldberg. Yeah, what was the pay per view of this week of this month? It would have been Survivor Series. It would have been November. It's always a fun, a fun game. So it would have been the Survivor Series where Goldberg lost the belt. Let's find out, Garrett, because it's our return of our favorite segment. It's me asking you what happened on the WWE show that of this month. <laughs> All right, Garrett, you have seven matches. Oh, God. I don't know any... Like, there's the Elimination Chamber. Uh, there is not the Elimination Chamber. Is that not that show? Well, I'm doomed. <laughs> 2003 Survivor Series from the American Airlines Center with an attendance of 13,487 people and a buy rate of 450,000. We have in your main event, Goldberg defeating Triple H with Ric Flair. Ah. Your semi-main event... Mr. McMahon defeating The Undertaker. Ah. In your semi-semi made of... <laughs> Team Bischoff defeating Team Austin and losing him his job. Oh, that's like the best Survivor Series match of all time as well, though. Mm, it's a real good one. That's the one with the Sean performance at the end. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that match rules. That one had... That's a, that's a Survivor Series match with real emotion there. That's like that's probably the best Survivor Series match of all time. Uh, we had the Bashams defeating Los Guerreros. The show was rough otherwise. <laughs> uh, Kane defeating Shane McMahon in an ambulance match. Oh, he did like a coast to coast off the ambulance, didn't he? The only thing I remember about the Survivor Series is that it has the cool DVD cover with Shane McMahon on it that says A Fall from Grace. 
Mm. We had Molly Holly defeating Lita. Sure. And in your opener on the actual show, there was a dark matchup to Jerry defeating Jamie Noble for the Cruiserweight title. But the actual opener here, I believe, was Team Angle defeating Team Lesnar. Oh, that's the, the Lesnar team that's awful as well, isn't it? Can you name me the Team Lesnar team? All right, I know it was Lesnar and Matt Morgan. Uh, that is two of five. Who was around then? Like Nathan Jones? Is Nathan Jones on the team? Nathan Jones is on the team. It's uh, Jindrak? No, Mark Jindrak. I know, because it's a team of useless big guys. O'Hare? No, Sean O'Hare. I'll give you a clue on this one. One of these men we have talked about on a podcast very recently. Oh, the A-Train. The A-Train. But you can listen to us talk about Giant Burner's last New Japan match at tnhad.com. And that's putting him over, too. Yeah. And one man... This man is all elite. Jake Hager. <laughs> no, a bit, bit early on that one. Uh, big Show? The Big Show. What a team. Of course, losing to the team of Kurt Angle, Bradshaw, Chris Benoit, Hardcore Holly, who AEW now owns his theme song, and John Cena. Whoa, 2003 WWE was rough. This is a like a 14-minute Survivor Series, too. Like, that show, other than the Sean match... Which, like, again, one of the best Survivor Series elimination matches by far. That show's terrible. <laughs> yeah, there's not a not a not a real great one here. Maybe all wrestling was bad in November two thousand three. Maybe it was just a downtime for the for the for the business. Alright, so as mentioned, the the entire month of pay per views will now cost thirty four ninety five, which you can buy at once, which is a five dollar discount on the current rate of forty dollars if somebody purchases all four shows. Also, during months where there are five pay-per-views, the price will remain the same, so you'll get essentially a pay-per-view for free on a five-show month. Wow. Uh, I feel bad for those people having to watch another show. Not all cable companies will necessarily offer the deal, though, but requests from fans could make a difference on an individual cable company opting into the program. You said this month was good, and now you're burying it again. No, I was burying the idea of having to watch five shows. (laughs) Which is your favorite thing when we get five-show months. Yeah, it's, it's really interesting that I still have to pay this rate for these shows, but I have to send it to Garrett directly. Yeah, you know, that's, it's, that's how we get them. We order them off pay-per-view from 2003, and that's how we watch them, and that, that's very important that you give me this thirty four ninety five every month. Yeah, and then you call up main event, and then they send them to me, and then, yeah. I think it's a very good system. I think you're, you're getting a steal here, Liam. One, you're saving $5 on a four-show month, and you're saving $15 on a five-show month. I mean, I, 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 I know no other way to watch these shows. So. Mm-hmm. Garrett, are you ready to apologize to Vince Russo? I might actually have to apologize to Yeah, Vince. you might actually have to apologize to Vince Russo. We might actually both have to take an L here and apologize to Vince Russo. Or at least bury Dutch Mantel. Vince Russo has not been backstage in several weeks and the office has told some wrestlers that he is no longer writing the shows. At this point, the wrestlers are under the impression that Jeff Jarrett and Dutch Mantel are responsible for the writing, while Jimmy Hart, Glengalbertie, and Scott Moore contribute their ideas. Russo continues to get mentioned on TV, so it seems like they're setting the stage for a possible return as at least uh, an on-air character in the future. <sighs> These shows were better when Vince Russo was in charge. Or while well, when he was contributing ideas, because we we hit that sweet spot, Liam. We hit that sweet spot in June, July, August, where he was reined in, but still contributing. Yeah, whereas the Russo and Gilberti write it, Demore throws in some ideas, and Jared edits, and that did seem like you know the sweet spot for good ideas on the show, a hot show, good angles, and the show was actually good. And then they did take Russo out, they scaled Demore back as well, and then they added Dutch. 
So. Sorry, Vince Russo, I guess. Mm. We blamed you for a lot of things. Some of it deserved. I think we can admit to that. But we do have to say, since your power has been completely stripped, as far as we know, the shows have, in fact, been pretty boring. Yeah, a follow-up on this. Jeff Jarrett and Dutch Martell have now been writing TNA shows for a few weeks. The weekly creative meetings are held Thursday morning in Nashville and attended by Jarrett Mantell, Jimmy Herrick, Daniel Berry, Scott Tamore, and Dixie Carter. Jarrett still has final say on all booking matters, and Mantell is clearly second in creative power. Gilberti, who used to write the shows along with Vince Russo, is still involved, but only as a contributor. Damore also contributes his ideas, but he's not nearly as involved in the process as he was when Russo and Gilberti were writing the shows. Russo is said to be unhappy about his demotion from the writing crew, but keeps, but keeps in regular contact with Panda's Dixie Carter. The general consensus is that Russo is being retained by TNA as Carter's fallback plan. <laughs> and will be for the next decade. But there are some who say Jared asked for Russo to remain on the payroll due to their friendship. The excuse Russo was given for being sent home is that Hulk Hogan wouldn't work with the company if he was involved in the creative process. Russo has been telling friends he believes Jarrett would have him sent home anyway because they butted heads creatively quite often over the last six months or so. This is like, it takes a while to get Russo out of this company every time. Or it's like he's he's been ostracized now, he doesn't have creative power, but he still hangs around the company for another year and is an on-air character for a large portion of that still. So we'll still have to pull up, put up with that for a while. But th- this is the slow phasing out of Vince Russo. Like, this has to happen so that we get good TNA in 2004, 2005. But, yeah, it's a it's a tough transition at the moment. I'm still waiting for these mythical good shows. <laughs> yeah. There was definitely a time where we talked and you're like, oh, it gets good. And it feels like I've been hearing it gets good for literally two years at this point. It got good during the summer. You had a little taste. L- listen, listen. It got good, but it was still like, you know, a 6 out of 10. <laughs> like, No, it was like a 7, occasionally an 8. I'm not running to show like show people these shows here, okay? You got like Triple X against AMW. You got like that really good Jarrett Raven title match. You got the Hoovy and Saban stuff. You had everything Dusty Rhodes. You had all the Raven and Shane Douglas stuff. There was a bunch of really good stuff during the summer. I don't know, man. I don't think it was enough to like forgive the negatives. You're just, you're just a negative Nelly. You just want to run off your Ring of Honor. I do a little bit. Listen, you will suffer through, and we'll eventually get to good TNA. Okay? Okay? I'm sure we'll... We should put that in the fucking intro. It's, it's only going to take about another year of programming, but we'll get there. And then, like, the thing we don't even talk about here is, like, oh, we'll get there, sure. But then I'll be like, all right, cool, that was a nice 18 months in this 10-year journey where it was good. This better be the best 18 months in wrestling history. <laughs> But, that, like, 7 to 09 is funny bad, though, so that's good. I can handle that, at least. You're getting very negative on the show, Liam? <laughs> getting? Yeah, you, you, I, I need a more positive attitude for you about, from you about TNA, please. Sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm representing the casual fan here. No, don't, don't you get me started. <laughs> I just, I don't understand it, okay? I get told it's good, but then I tune in and I just, I don't understand. And you said this month was good. Well, you didn't, but still. No, I didn't. I said this this month was better than the worst month in TNA history. Jerry Lynn and Eli Skipper haven't appeared on TNA shows because they are in the midst of separate contract disputes. TNA made Lynn one of its highest paid wrestlers earlier this year. However, the company asked him to take a pay cut when they offered long-term contracts to the talent in September. Lynn has balked at the offer thus far and will still be paid at some point because he was guaranteed a number of dates as part of his contract. Skipper's situation is said to be similar, although he isn't making as much money as Lynn. Alright, get money. So like, hey, Jerry Lynn, take all this money. It's like, oh, hey, Jerry Lynn, take less money, but 
then he says no. But then they're like, well, we're, you're still signed this guarantee contract, so we do have to pay you, but we're not going to use you for a while. Ah, uh, uh, damn. I will take my vacation paid then, I guess, if I have to. Because, yeah, this is a month where there is no Frankie Kazarian, there's no Jerry Lynn, there's no Elix Skipper, there's no, like, again, wrestlers who have been around TNA for a while now, just gone. And I think at this point, too, Lynn feels and has some sort of cachet here. He's like, you're not exactly flourish for stars at the moment. Mm. Lynn spoke to the Between the Ropes radio show and said his TNA status is in limbo since he was given the runaround by TNA. Lynn said that he was especially upset with being portrayed at being at a crossroads of his career, with his age only being 40, being pointed out on television. Lynn has also told wrestlers he was upset when his NWA World Title match against AJ Styles wasn't the main event, whereas Loki's match was the main event, even though that Lynn did go on before the Raven and Shane Douglas hair versus hair match, so I really can't give it about that. But he did. Nevertheless, Lynn expressed on the radio show that he felt being quiet and professional was getting him nowhere, so he wanted to express his frustrations. There are a number of younger wrestlers in TNA who missed working with Lynn because he was the pillar of experience who held the X Division together and helped teach some of the younger wrestlers about working. Now there's a feeling among many wrestlers that are all young, there's no one to lead them to next being next level workers. Very fair. Because we did talk about how Jerry Lynn was basically the guy who made AJ Styles AJ Styles along with Christopher Daniels. And when you don't have that guy in the division and you have... Like, they have Daniels in the division now, and they have Loki in the division now, so it's not like there's no experience in the division, but even, like, Loki's relatively young in 2003. Daniels is still ancient. He's still been around a decade, but... Ancient of 40. Yeah, well, yeah, Daniels is, is one of those people who has always been the old man in the scene, even when he hasn't been the old man in the scene. Yeah. Well, like, um, I was listening to the Danielson Observer uh, interview, and... He was talking about, it's like, when we were growing up and we were doing the... Was it... Which was the, what's the, the big indie tournament that I'm forgetting right now? The Super 8? Yeah, Super 8. And he's talking about, it's like... Like, you guys think of, like, Daniels, like... But Daniels was that guy to us at that yeah. level at that time. Like, uh, for, because he is the father of indie wrestling. Like, like, if there's an indie wrestling Hall of Fame, Christopher Daniels has to be in it. Because he is, the, the like, the, the prevailing influence for everybody. It's like him and Ruckus. Like, Daniels is just, as I said, he's he's been the old man of this wrestling scene, even when he wasn't a particularly old man. Yeah, just been a, a staple. So, uh, TNA wrestlers having problems with not having anybody to lead them. The morale in the NWA TNA locker room continues to stink last Wednesday, November 19th. Just about everyone involved in the promotion views it as the Jeff Jarrett show, and the general feeling is that nothing and no one is going to change that. I haven't seen morale this bad in any company I've worked in, noted one veteran wrestler. Noted one veteran wrestler who didn't ever worked in 2022 WWE. <laughs> That's true. But it's interesting to see, like, it's not just the shows that don't have much life. It's clearly like a prevailing locker room issue that these people don't have a ton of belief in the company. They don't have a ton of belief in the management. And that does seep through into the product where you see the product suffer. You see the quality of wrestling suffer. You see the amount of engagement in the product suffer. You see the crowd's engagement in the product suffer. So it's it's kind of interesting to see how, like, that all does work together. Like, no matter how many good wrestlers you have on your show if locker room morale is down if you're not keeping people happy if you're not giving them a place they like to work uh, unlike what dixie carter said in that quote about lex luger earlier where it's like we pride ourselves on having a great place to work uh, apparently the people at nwatna don't really believe that at the moment dixie yeah i mean like i think it's pretty obvious like even you can have the best wrestlers the best wrestlers in the world on your roster but if they're not happy they're not going to perform to that level and if you're not putting them in interesting positions they're not going to perform to that level because they're not happy <laughs> it's, a, it's really it is a cycle 
Because what you do have Christopher Daniels on the show, but he's not having good matches. You do have Loki on the show, but he's not having good matches. AJ is still being pushed on the show, but he's only been put in a position to have a good match once this month, and he does, which is the match against the Abyss. And when you don't put your good wrestlers in positions to have good matches, guess what, Liam? They don't have good matches. It's true. Even AMW, best tag team in company history, they have one singles match, or one two-on-two tag match this month? It's a bit all over the place. And that's the thing, none of these matches have had anything to sink your teeth into either, even from a fan perspective. Yeah, because there's the AMW match against Siaki and Ekmo, and I don't think there's another AMW match this month. I don't even think they're in, like, a multi-man. Oh, no, they're in the gauntlet of singles, but that's it. Yeah, it's a weird, it's a weird month. I've never, I've never gotten that. When you're looking at like, well, how best do we use our talent? How best do we like put these pieces together to create a good show? It's like, what if we didn't have our best tag team wrestle all month? It was all Diamond and Swinger. It was all three LK. I like Diamond and Swinger to be fair, but yeah, you should still probably be finding a spot for AMW on these shows. I don't like Diamond and Swinger anymore. I still like them. The David Youngification of Diamond and Swinger has turned me off them. How dare you! Wrestlers continue to complain about Jared featuring himself as the main attraction on TNA shows. TNA is a vehicle to get one person over. Jeff Jarrett, said one frustrated wrestler. Other wrestlers echoed that sentiment, including some wrestlers who once defended Jarrett against such criticism. Well, how about you other guys try being stars? <laughs> Have you ever thought of that? I wonder, is that like an element of it that Jarrett has finally used the Hogan thing as an excuse to just push himself as top guy? Which he, he kind of reluctantly did at times. And like there was the period during the summer where we did note that like during that period where this company was really good, Jeff Jarrett definitely took a back seat. He definitely like took a step back on he the He had product. a role, but he wasn't the guy. Yeah, he was just like doing mid-car stuff with Legend and Daniels. So now that the, like the Hogan stuff props up, he gives himself an excuse to be like the top main event heel. And maybe a warranted one. It's like, oh, we have Hogan coming in. We need a top main event heel. And I'm the only guy who can do that. Like... I'm not, like, indifferent to that argument that there's probably merit there, but also it's just like, oh, this is my moment to step up. I don't have to really think about it anymore. I don't have to be, like, self-conscious about the degree to which I'm pushing myself. Let's just push myself. The thing is, too, I don't even mind uh, Jericho. (laughs) I don't even mind Jarrett being pushed. I I just... What they're doing with him isn't interesting. Mm. He just comes out every week and cuts the same promo, tells Mike Taney to shut up, and then starts yammering on about Hulk Hogan until whatever excuse they have for Hulk Hogan not being there gets brought up and he does his, like, one-week feud. It's like... And he's not even wrestling! Because when he's wrestling, he's also fine! But he doesn't do that! All he does is come out here and tell Mike Taney to shut up, and then he cuts a fuck the same exact promo over and over again. I am so sick of those Jeff Jarrett promos. I'm so sick of them. And they're in the same slot nearly every week, because every week the show opens with a match, and then Jeff Jarrett comes out and he does that same promo where he's like, oh, I brought TNA to Hulk Hogan, but Hulk Hogan's not here, and he, I injured Hulk Hogan. I'm doing the same promo every single week. It's slap nuts, guitar, and that just, I, by the end of this month, I am sick of him. I'm sick of him. I do not want to see him anymore. I don't want to see him getting beat him up. I don't want to see him that's not heat. I want him off of my television program. I think the problem with this show is too, it's very stale. Mm. It's the same things happening over and over again. Which is funny. When I was doing broad topics, I was like, all right, we have the world title scene. We have whatever Raven's doing this month. We have the X division. We have the tag teams, which are single programs. And that's it. 
There's no other yeah. story. I was like, literally, I was going through the shows. Like, is there anything I'm missing? Is there like a Don Callis story? It's like, no, that ties into Jared's stuff. Is there something on this show that I'm not miss- like g- grabbing here? It's like, no, it's all just Jeff Jarrett, the X Division triple chance, and Tree LK and Glenn Gilberti. Like, that's the entire month. Yeah. And then Raven. Raven, at least Raven's always doing something off to the side. He's just fighting the red shirt security. It's no longer Raven doing something interesting. But he, he is doing something. I'll, we'll get into the specifics. Oh no, Liam. The TNA pay-per-views are at risk of being cancelled in Australia due to poor buy rates. Thank God I don't have to do this show anymore. No, I'll still get them for you. It's fine. Wait, oh, But I won't have to pay anymore? No, uh, you should, I think. It's important that you pay. But they're going to be canceled? I, I just don't understand. They opened to more than 4,500 buys, which is about half of what they were doing in the US at the time, which was an excellent number, and then consistently dropped from there. Part of the problem was the half-assed way it was promoted. Australia only aired one pay-per-view per month, so people couldn't keep up with the storylines. They had national TV on cable channel Fox 8, which they still have on Sundays at no, 7. No, they don't! <laughs> well, not anymore, not in 2022. Which aired on Sundays at 7.30am, not exactly a prime time slot there. No, I would have watched it. But they were airing shows from nine months ago, and as I, as you can imagine, nine-month-old oh, TNA, <laughs> and how it would make no sense building to current pay-per-views. So the entire thing, the entire system they had up was quite disjointed. They were only uh, selling one pay-per-view a month. And I think most importantly, Liam, there were no more Australian flags on the show. I think that really did. Um, that really lowered my interest in it. Like, they tried very hard for one show to be super Australian, and then they were no... The, uh, Australians probably tuned into Groves, and Groves is like, oh, it's a product for us. Oh, g- good eye, mate. This is my wrestling. And then they took all the Australian parts out, and they got very sad. I mean, I don't know that's what happened to me, personally. So that's the reason you're such a Debbie Downer on TNA now. You're such a, a, a miserable anti-TNA person, because they took the Australian... Like, if Lollipop still had an Australian flag on her butt as she was hitting her high spot, you'd be like, oh, hell yeah. Well, obviously. I just miss Jeremy Borash sitting uh, across from the Sydney Harbour Bridge, mm. talking to us. He should be there every week. He should fly back and forth. He should live in Australia and send the tape away. Oh, that'd be great. Among the locker room frustrations these days is the general perception of the wrestlers that several members of management have taken a you-need-us-more-than-we-need-you approach. Always great. One wrestler has said the locker room has been miserable because everyone is walking on eggshells because they don't want to be the next wrestler to be booked solid one month only to disappear the next. And then to point out that Jerry Lynn, Easy Skipper, D'Lo Brown, and Kazarian all just suddenly gone this month. It's, it's a rough time back there. I mean... Oh, but like what do you want like yeah it's everything we've been talking about it's just it's a bad show and the last news note of the month which is something i think we will cover a number of times because i hate this talking point i hate it with every fiber of my being they ran out of pops they ran out of pops the bad crowd reactions has caused a lot of talk about running weekly at the fairgrounds when the idea of this promotion started they were at first going to run tapings all over the southeast at the time, I said it wouldn't work and they needed to run in an 800-seat building that they could pay for the pack every week because it's almost impossible to get people to buy wrestling tickets these days. Then, after the first show in Huntsville died, they decided to run Nashville and pay for the place at a 9,000-seat auditorium. It wasn't long before they moved down to the fairgrounds. Listen to our early episodes if you'd like to go through the process of them doing that. It worked out well for a while, but they've got to get out of there. This is from the, the Wrestling Observer, by the way. This is Dave Meltzer. Hey, Garrett. Mm-hmm. Did you know the problem 
is that they're in the impact zone. Oh. And they've burnt out the impact zone. Oh. So that's the problem. They need to get out from the impact zone. It's not that the shows are so bad they've burnt the audience. It's that the fucking building is the problem. Every single time. Over and over again in Tina history. It's like, oh, they burn, as you mentioned, it's the impact zone. It's the asylum. It's like, they've got to get out of running the same building because, oh, it's killing Full the sale. show. <laughs> a full sale, yeah. It's remarkable, Liam, how during periods where the shows in all of these companies are good in those yeah. places, the crowd seems super engaged. Full Sail was one mm-hmm. of the most hot buildings in wrestling. The Impact Zone was one of the hottest buildings in wrestling. Remember remember how much these crowds were going nuts for those near falls in that Raven and Slash match? I do remember I was there. And now all of a sudden, wow, they're not going crazy anymore. I wonder why that is. <laughs> yeah, it's because the building... It's the building, it's the fans' fault, Liam. They're just not making noise. And, like, the, 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 the Dave Meltzer specifically cites Loki Daniels this month, which is a good match that the crowd just do not give a shit about. I can give you a, a bigger match where they, I felt it was more prevalent. The, the three-way exhibition match where they're killing themselves to zero reaction. But what reason has this asylum crowd been given to care about Christopher Daniels? Yeah. None! Absolutely none. The dude lost a bad feud with Jarrett, did the weird, like, I am talking about metamorphosis and sports entertainment promos, and then was dumped down into the X Division to feud with Loki, who was once a star in this company and feels like a complete non-entity ever since he returned. Like, they have no reason to care about these people. So even if they go out there and, like, have a good wrestling match, they have no reason to care about these people. Yeah, I, I got some more points about this, but I'll save it for later. It's just, it's, it's, it's also, it's unfortunate because the crowd makes the show a lot of the time too. Mm-hmm. I was thinking about some of these matches where I was like, I don't really care about these matches. They don't interest me. But if the crowd was hot and popping for them the whole time, I'd probably still care about it. I'd probably like at least, you know, it would engage me more. Like, remember when Tree LK were really hot and they tricked you into liking them? Yeah. And they had these like high energy six minute openers where they were just doing moves and the crowd were going nuts. And now that they're they're winning the tag titles this month, crowd don't give a shit. Crowd don't care about Trial K anymore. It wasn't even like a pop for it. It's just a thing that has happened on another on the show where things happen. And like you could probably argue the biggest pop in TNA history is this month. Like when Sting comes out for that Jeff Jarrett match, that crowd goes insane. Well, I got things to say about that too, <laughs> but. Nonetheless, I I hate this talking point. I hate it with every fiber of my being because it's. Right. We'll get used to this talking point over the every episode from now on. Yeah, it's just such a wrong-headed way to look at it, and like people were doing it again during Revolution last week. It's like, why is the crowd dead during this Danielson and and Moxley match? It's because the work isn't engaging the audience. I hate the idea that the crowd response is just this like mythical thing that's disconnected from the show and the product that's uh, it's related to. And also, for some reason, people put the onus on the fans all the time. Yeah, it's like, it's the job of the fans to engage the wrestlers instead of the job of the wrestlers to engage the fans. It's like Chris Hero says, like, I've seen him say it a few times, there's no bad wrestling crowd, there's just bad wrestlers. Yeah. And if you can't get that crowd to react, you just failed at your job that night. And there are, like, there are rare occasions where I'll feel sorry for people who will legitimately bust their ass and get nothing. (laughs) Oh, you saw that? It's like Danielson Moxley. And uh, I'm, I'm amazed to see people give that such high ratings, given how like the crowd just did not give a single shit about it. 
I, I can only speak from my experiences. That was a match where I didn't care that the crowd wasn't into it because I was into it. Bias. I was watching them beat the shit out of each other and kick each other's heads in and brawl. And I was like, I like this, even if the crowd's not into this. And you should have been really into the Daniels and Loki match. Well, no, because the work wasn't as good. Work was better. Loki's better than Moxley. I think that's true. Loki is probably a better wrestler than Moxley. They probably Loki probably peaked higher, but Mox has had way more longevity. Also, Mox is a much bigger star. But also consistency. But yeah, stop it with the, the fan blaming. It's like, if if the audience isn't engaged, that's due to something in the product, nothing else. It's just the easiest thing in the world to just blame your fans for not caring when they don't care because you didn't make them care. But even if, like, you want to go to the default, like, they're tired, well, then that's also kind of on you, man. Yeah, you got to pace your shows. You put this thing together. Run it over two nights if you think it's going to be that bad and you want to get six hours of content on there. Like, there's, there's changes that can be made functionally yeah maybe don't do a 17 minute pre-show match if you don't want your crowd to burn out you know mm. maybe i don't know just save things spread things out yeah it's fine you're a tv company anyway i mean like i'm i'm critiquing one of my favorite pay-per-views like <laughs> of the last decade so i don't know what i'm doing here really but uh, i've sucked you into that due to being much lower on the show than nearly everybody else <laughs> yeah i mean because like i think it's easy to hyper focus on that part of that show because it was the glaring part of that show. You mean to, to talk about the bad stuff instead of just conveniently brush over it because you like the company? Yeah, but... <laughs> fine. <laughs> if it's like an 8 out of 10, like the easier talking point and the point that's going to get brought up always is going to be like the thing that made it, that lost those two points instead of the stuff that gave it that 8. Mm. And speaking of 8 out of 10s, Liam, let's talk about this month of NWA TNA. I'm I'm very curious to see what you would give anything on any of these shows an 8 out of 10. Uh, the closest we got, I gave Styles and Abyss a 7 out of 10, so that's close. I like that match, actually, but I, I remember watching it and I was like, this feels like I had just watched Rampage. Oh, again, he's going to be looking at Mr. AEW. No, 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 but look, I was like, oh, this feels exactly like the match you would see opening a Rampage. <laughs> Mr. Oh, if this was on Rampage, it would have been four stars. No, no, my whole point point was that it was low to mid threes, which is the Rampage staple. (laughs) Mr. Everything is AEW over here. Everything is Ring of Honor. Literally, AEW is Ring of Honor and this company. What do you want, okay? You've Got to Be Kidding Me is brought to you this week by HelloFresh. With HelloFresh, you get farm fresh pre-portioned ingredients and seasonal recipes delivered right to your doorstep. Skip trips to the grocery store and count on HelloFresh to make home cooking easy, fun, and affordable. That's why it's America's number one meal kit. HelloFresh delivers pre-portioned ingredients to your door, including farm-fresh produce that arrives within a week, so you get convenience without skimping on quality. Skip the trip to the grocery store, saving you that weight in long lines and ensuring you don't waste money on excess food. Don't forget dessert. Satisfy your sweet tooth with seasonal limited-time goodies like Dunkaroo's cookie dough or vanilla delight cheesecake. You know, we can all get caught in a rut of eating the same things over and over just out of habit and reliability and HelloFresh helps kind of break that loop giving you new and fresh and interesting things to eat so go to hellofresh.com slash vow16 and use the code vow16 for up to 16 free meals and three free gifts that's hellofresh.com slash vow16 using the code vow16 Alright, uh, Broad Talks of the Month, let's start with the world title scene. Uh, we ended last month with Jimmy Hart announcing that the icon Sting would make, be making his TNA return on the first baby of said November. It's Sting. It is Sting! 
Sting. The best thing about that freaking AEW paper was Sting diving out of the stands. Sting is so good. But Sting returns to TNA to face Jeff Jarrett in the main event of our first pay-per-view of the month, NWA TNA pay-per-view number 69. Nice. November 5th, 2003. That's a funny six number. <laughs> Jimmy Hart opens that show doing a promo about Jarrett facing Sting. And then later in the show, he does another one where Sting walks in and says, it's showtime. And then we know Sting, Jarrett, main event. I thought it was interesting that this wasn't the show we did the watch along for. I did the one for the Luger match. I'm sorry. I would have assumed a, I think, legitimate Bound for Glory main event. Well, it does eventually become a Bound for Glory main event. Yeah, so that's yeah. what I'm saying. Like, like something that would become a, a Bound for Glory main event being on one of these shows would have been like, we should watch this one. Because the, the reason I picked the next one is because this match builds to the next one. So I thought it made more sense to watch the match that was built to as opposed to the match that builds to it. Listen, we all have our Dutch Mantel months, okay? <laughs> so yeah, Jarrett and Sting. Sting comes out to, as I said, maybe the biggest reaction in TNA history. This crowd go absolutely batshit crazy for Sting. I was going to say, Sting has been over in every major company. Because he's a real big star and he's cool. Oh, and my my big takeaway, like the match was whatever. Or like, <laughs> I read here, I was like, not actually a good match or a good finish, but it was nice to see a star. Mm. And it was my big takeaway from it was like, Sting is such an impressive pro wrestling star. Like his consistency, how he's managed to stay so beloved through now like five major companies that I can think of off the top of my head. The dude. Is just the best. He just has that aura, though, doesn't he? He just he has the aura of a star because it doesn't even really feel like he's trying here, and not like he's dogging it. No, exactly. In that, like, he doesn't need to really. Yeah, he just walks out. He does his poses. He does his singer splashes, and he's the hottest star in the history of this company because he's goddamn sting. Yeah, and he just feels cool because he is cool. He has that two-step explosiveness where everything he does has that, like, little bit of bite, that little bit of intensity. And it's not like he works this insane pace, but everything he does, whether it's a stinger splash or his, like, atomic drops or his weird back fists that he does, they all have that just little bit of extra oomph that makes him sting. Yeah. I don't think anybody would argue Sting is an all-time great worker. I wouldn't. He's an all-time great star. Yeah, and he's a unique worker, where, like, he has his own sense of style, he has his own thing going about him, which, if you, we were talking about this in the watch-along about Abyss as well, as a guy who has his own unique wrestling style, the way he wrestles Mm. is unlike anybody else, and I think the same is true of Sting. Physically looks different. Yeah, uh, like, Sting wrestles unlike anybody else, he's Sting. That's the thing too, like, Sting, again, like, actually good comparison with the Abyss stuff is, we were talking about how Abyss, even in his movement, is not like anyone else. Mm. The way he walks around the ring. Sting's the same way. The way he moves around, he's so unique. Yeah. Everybody should try to do things differently from other people, Liam. Yeah, his stride, his confidence. It just, it stands out. So yeah, they have a, a regular asylum match. They brawl into the crowd. Jared gets color. They, they've, like, again, it's, no, it's nothing special, but the crowd is super hot. And then, a typical, it's because it's a regular asylum match, you get the interference. Red shirts come out, Raven comes out, Styles comes out, you get all this stuff. It's weird that there's interference on the red shirts, but it's not a DQ until Jared hits Sting with a chair. I don't know how that works. Yeah, the Because the red shirts are on the take, brother. But the red shirts are the Don Callis representatives, so clearly, like, red shirt interference should be faster disqualification, because mm, Eric Watts. That is Eric Watts' domain. Yeah. My, my big thing here is, like, the Red Shirt security are being presented as the strongest force in TNA history. Mm-hmm. There has literally not been a group 
stronger than the Red Shirt security. Except maybe Jeff Jarrett. I said group. It's true. <laughs> and Jeff Jarrett is kind of part of them. They are stronger than sex ever were. They are more protected than sex ever were. I, I don't understand it. <laughs> Why are Red Shirt security such a big deal? Well, and the thing is, they usually lose their matches. <laughs> but every segment they're in, they always get their heat back right after the matches too. So it's like, in all the angles, they look great because they come out, they always just beat someone up and then drag them out. And then, in if they even if they lose their matches, they normally beat up the guys after. <laughs> mm. It's a very weird act of two big, relatively talentless wrestlers being far too overused on a wrestling uh, sorry, show. Sorry, how dare you? Three. Well, um, we haven't had the added person yet, Liam. Don't you <laughs> don't you spoil the stories of NWATNA for November? No, I assume everyone who is listening to this has done like we have, paid their forty bucks or whatever to Garrett, <laughs> and watched these shows. Yeah, of course. You can see what happens at Legend this month. <laughs> That's our new Patreon tier. <laughs> forty bucks a month, and we'll give you the shows. I'm not sure we can do that, but listen. So, uh, yeah, everyone runs out. Styles Raven runs out. Abyss comes out, clears house. But uh, swerve, Liam. Fucking swerve. After doing, like, two or three weeks as a babyface turning on Kid Cash, he wrestled Kid Cash earlier. No, he didn't wrestle. Kid Cash had a match, and uh, Abyss saved last from Kid Cash's attack. We'll talk about that later. But Abyss has been booked as a babyface for two or three weeks, but now he's swerving. Swiveled the hips into the black hole slam. He really did. He swiveled the hips into the black hole slam. This is stupid. Abyss was really over as a face. It feels like you're cutting his legs out from under him here. And yeah, that's one of the decisions that contributes to like a poorer crowd response where you have a baby face that the crowd are getting behind and believing in. And then when you pull that rug out from under him, maybe they're less inclined to get behind and believe in people. Like the only like real face that they have that's believable at this point is Raven. Oh, AJ too, to be fair. I don't know. I think they kind of fucking killed aj <laughs> well we'll get into that they kill him for the wrong reasons but like the crowd really does care about aj i think in the first couple of weeks of this month mm. so yeah abyss aligns himself with jared and callus by hitting styles with a black hole slam and that's your big thing going off the air except it's not because sting gets on the <gasps> mic and he's like aj you're really good i want to team with you to face jared and a partner and jared's like i accept and my partner will be the total package lex luger so in kayfabe, mm-hmm. this tag match was made on the spot. Yeah. Did, what if Lex just said no? Well, I'd like to think that Jared was just trying to find a way to fuck with Sting, so he already had Luger in his back pocket. But he's like, fine, I'll team with him. Because yeah. actually, I do like that aspect, the, you know, calling out Sting's mate. Mm. It's, a fun, it's a fun little thing. My favorite part of that was Mike Tanay responded to the, 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 the mere utterance of Lex Luger's name by saying, oh my god, just four times in a row. <laughs> That's because they didn't tell him. <laughs> well, the the deal to make this match was only made right before the show went on the air. Why does this keep happening? Well, at least it was made before they announced it, in this case. But, uh, yeah, they only nailed down the Luger deal right before they went on air and then made the, the Jarrett and Luger and Styles and Sting match for the, the following minute. But, like, what do they do if, Lu- if Luger just goes, nah? <laughs> oh, Abyss. Abyss was meant to be there. Okay, okay, okay. At least they had a backup. And they set up the angle for that as well, so it would make perfect sense to put Abyss with uh, Jared against Styles and Sting. Sure. So that is your main event of NW18, February number 70. In November 12th, 2003, Jeff Jarrett and the total package Lex Luger face the phenomenal AJ Styles and Sting. There's a promo earlier in the show where Scott Hudson goes to... Well, well, there's two promos. We'll talk about this one before... This is a good month for Scott. 
Yeah, Scott Hudson's on these shows a lot. We did. Was there a Red Jarrett promo on NWA Baby number 69 that we missed? There's so many of them. Raven. Oh, there was. Jarrett did a promo on that show. It's the same promo they do every week, which we will say cover over and over again. So NWA TNA Baby number 69, before we go on to the, the next week's show, Jarrett did do a promo earlier in that show where he came out. He did his Hogan's Bad uh, uh, promo. He showed uh, some German and Japanese magazines. Uh, about uh, the coverage of his attack on Hogan. He got mad at Mike Tanay. AJ showed up in the crowd. The crowd, like, legitimately, to be fair, the crowd really did care about AJ for a while. So, like, the crowd really did believe in him. They they were chanting AJ. That, he felt like a star. It felt like, you know, the pivot to AJ being a babyface is the, the thing where it's like, why wasn't this man a babyface the entire time? Yeah, there's definitely that point to it. I And I, I get what AJ says when he's like, he felt like he was just getting into his groove as a heel. Mm. But... He really shouldn't have been that ever at this point. Yeah. That should have been a big deal. Like, the, yeah, the moment he turned heel should have been like, you know, after, like, Eddie Edwards at, in current impact. It's like, you've been a babyface for eight years. Fine, we'll turn you heel, you know? Sting. Sting as well, yeah. It's just like, just to do something different with you after all this time of you being a top babyface, we might as well turn you heel for a while. Because AJ really should have been the babyface face of this brand from the, the very start, instead of a guy who played a weird tweener in the feud with Jerry Lynn, and then was very firmly a heel from, like, October onwards, until October this year when he turned babyface again. You could argue that he's been a dick more than he's been a good guy. Yeah, he was a babyface for, like, two weeks, basically. Like, two weeks he was a babyface. Like a pure babyface. And then he was doing like the, the weird asshole stuff with Jerry Lynn. And from the entire point onwards, he was unlikable. And it's like, how yeah. how do you do that with AJ? He should be your like your marquee man. He should be your guy. It's like, as I said, it should be like Eddie Edwards or Sting or these guys who are babyfaces for years and years and years and years because they're natural babyfaces. And then only because you're like, oh, well, we, we do eventually have to do something different with this guy and do something new and give him a new challenge. So maybe then we do turn him heel. But that should have been very, very, very long down the road. Uh, we do got the first instance, I think, of him calling Sting Stink in this promo. Stank. Because AJ, is, his mouth does not form the word Sting very well, so he says the word Stink quite a lot. Stinker. Uh, I do enjoy that. Uh, and then they did the usual. Raven comes out, Red Shirts come out, Just Styles comes out, Brawl, Abyss comes out, makes the save for them all, and beats up the Red Shirts, setting up the swerve later in the show somehow. But... And, and Jared said, I called Sting Batman. He said, I'll see you later, Batman. I'm, un- I'm unfamiliar. He's the Batman. He's vengeance. <laughs> he doesn't really do that voice. Sorry, it's more whispery now. He's the Batman. Yeah. He's vengeance. Yeah, be more like broody and emo. I'm like, I just got a little sad as opposed to angry. Oh. I'm just mad, like sad at the war. I don't want to be yeah. Bruce Wayne. I want to be Batman. Yeah. Swear to me. You're jumping between Batman. <laughs> yeah, multiple Batman. Batman. So yeah, that's uh, the Jared Stingman event with the Swerve for Abyss to, to, and the Lex Luger announcement to bring us to the next show where we begin the reoccurring theme where we get a Jared promo in his standard slot. The second, pro- like we have an opening match and then Jared comes out to do his promo. And guess what, Liam? It's the same promo he did last week. But also like, I hate this Bash of the Beat shit. <laughs> yeah. I hate it so much. No one gives a fuck. <laughs> and the, the rage I felt in my heart when it was the third show, I think, where they did the angle at the radio station, and Jimmy Hart was like, Yeah, man, everyone in the wrestling world, and this is the most talked about thing! And I was like, Shut up! <laughs> Shut up! It's not! It sucks! No one cares! That was a solid Jimmy Hart impression right there. Thanks. I let the emotion carry me. 
he gets a higher and higher pitch that he shows goes on as well. Like he, he starts like, oh, I'm Jimmy Hart. It's like, now listen to me, Jeff Darren. I got a lips. It's a really high pitched Dixie. Oh, everything is just degrees of Dixie, isn't it? Degrees of Dixie. That's that, that should be what we called the show. <laughs> mm. So Jared comes out. He demands that Don West replace Mike Tanay to do the interview instead because he's mad at Mike Tanay. Because Mike Tanay is the true top babyface in this company. <laughs> Has been from day one. Everybody's feuding with Mike. Everybody likes Mike. Mm. He liked Mike. So he does the same old promo over and over again. He talks about how he took the TNA to Hulk Hogan, ran Hogan out of TNA, got injured, doesn't want to talk about Bash at the Beach. Raven interrupts. Raven's like, it's my destiny. I'm going to be champion. Red Shirt Security come out. <laughs> it's just the, the same exact... Like it, It's the exact same thing that happened last week. Like, literally beat for beat in the same slot in the show as well. Just let's do it again. Raven even brings it up later. Mm. <laughs> He's like... I'll beat this red shirt guy, then I'll beat this red shirt guy, and we'll just keep doing the same thing over and over again forever. Uh, then later in the show, Scott Hudson has mentioned he was trying to get an interview with Lex Luger, but he got an interview with Jeff Jarrett instead. To begin our, our, our show running, line month running angle, really, that AJ Styles does not belong in the heavyweight division. Well, they already started this, I feel, like last month too, but they definitely... <laughs> Fucking threw it up into overdrive here. I like that when AJ did his Mike Tanay interview, he pointed out the hypocrisy of that statement. Mm. <laughs> he's like, A, I'm a Grand Slam champion. And then he's like, B, I'll beat Jeff Jarrett! <laughs> For the title. <laughs> yeah. It's so weird of them to decide to do this story now, as mentioned. Because like you said, the like last month they did the thing where Jarrett said, get back to the X Division. And now... Like, he's saying that Jeff Jar- that AJ Styles isn't worthy of being in the heavyweight division. Lex Luger is saying that AJ Styles isn't worthy of being in the heavyweight division. And that's the show running angle, even though this guy has been champion for four months? He held the belt from June to October? I guess that is meant to be the heat, but also, you have to reflect that in the booking of the show. Mm. Because if you say it, and then you perceive him to not be a heavyweight... You're actually just proving the point. Yeah. So, but to make it heat, you have the heel say that and the babyface prove him wrong. <laughs> so that when you do get to the main event of AJ Styles and Sting against Lex Luger and Jeff Jarrett, where the finish is that Sting hits Lex Luger with a bat multiple times and then Styles catches a quick roll up and pins him. That is not proving that AJ's on their, their level. In fact, it kind of tells you the opposite. Yeah, it, it proves them right. It's like, oh, he isn't on their level because he couldn't beat them fair and square. He won in a cheap slip on a banana peel way instead of just beating him. Uh, earlier on the show, uh, Abyss beat Don Harris. AJ and Abyss brawled after the match. Sure. But I, I just, I hate this story. Even Sting coming out and saying like, oh, I like Sting. Because like Sting choosing to team with AJ should be a moment. These two have like a long relationship going through the rest of TNA history, basically. Going all the way to their Brown Floor main event in 2009. And this is kind of the start of it. Please don't spoil 2009 for me. Just that story, doing that story now, after this dude has been the best thing about this company for so long, after this dude has been world champion for four months, you're going to turn around and finally say, this dude's not on our level, he's not ready to be in the the main events, in the heavyweight division, he's not on the Jeff Jarrett and Lex Luger level. It's just one of those dumbass TNA things. It's like, why are you doing this? Why are you telling us that your biggest star isn't worth being on the level of these old WCW stars. It just reinforces like the worst instincts. Like no one in AEW says Hangman Page isn't as good as freaking Brian Danielson. In fact, they had him beat him. 
what do you want? Like, that's exactly what it is. And it's a, a theme that will continue to come to pass throughout the rest of the history of the company. Yes, where all of a sudden these stars from elsewhere are bigger stars than AJ Styles and Samojo and Christopher Daniels and Chris Saban and Alex Shelley. We even saw it, like, in our brief uh, run with the Hogan era, in which you can listen to on the Patreon. There you go. Where we was like, Val Venus comes in and just wins, <laughs> beats Christopher Daniels, who was, like, a title contender the month before. Yeah, he chanced for the world title two months in a row, and then the following baby he lost to Val Venus. The most fucking, like, mind-boggling and <laughs> thing that pained me the most, Orlando Jordan fucking big-leaguing him. <laughs> and being like, listen here, kid. The real stars are here. Orlando Jordan... Yeah, at least like I don't know, I don't even want to. Talk. At least Sting like and Luger have achieved things. Mm, they are big stars. It's worse when it's like if uh, I'm trying to think of a cool WCW mid carder, Buff Bagwell. Yeah, if Buff came in was like, <laughs> listen, kid, and not even if Buff came in now. If Buff came in in like 2010, yeah, it was like, listen, kid, Buff is the stuff. He's the stuff. And you're not the stuff. Me? Yes. Wow. I, I, I am not an American male. So what did you think of this as a match? What do you think of Luger? Uh, I didn't. You just didn't? <laughs> I didn't think of this match or Luger. <laughs> I believe at this time I was reading that um, Roman Reigns had defeated Seth Rollins in three minutes. <laughs> ah, yes. And we were waiting for what the, the actual angle on that show was. Not realizing it was just a, an Austin Theory match. I mean, I like Luger. At times. Mm-hmm. But also, I don't have an attachment to him at all. Because he wasn't a guy that I grew up on at all. Yeah. Like, even my... I, I'm notoriously not the WCW guy. Mm-hmm. Like, have seen very little. And my WWF stuff, even if I was going to the WWF era, was like... Sean? <laughs> Brett? You weren't watching your Lex Express era? Yeah, I didn't even really catch Lex in that era. So I, I just don't have an emotional attachment to this guy. I have more of an emotional attachment to Sting. For, but like I said earlier, when we first was brought up about him, Sting's a TNA guy to me. Mm. He's not even a WCW guy to me. So it's like, this is just not my wheelhouse. Yeah, I thought he, like, he looked fine. Yeah, I thought it was fine. He looked like Luger from WCW, which means he wasn't really trying and he didn't really do anything. But he also wasn't bad. He was just like a guy there looking big. Yeah. He had a, a, a good presence about him. Mm. I think he he filled his role fine. It would have been ideal if AJ just pinned him clean, but listen, you can't get what you want, can you? I mean, you can. You do pay these people. <laughs> <laughs> like, seriously, if like, hey, Luger, you're going to take a scorpion death drop and, a, and AJ's going to like do a frog flash and pin you. Especially when, by all accounts, even by booking Luger, you're doing him a favor. Yeah. Like, have your guy win. Mm. So that brings us to NWTA Universe 71, November 19th, 2003. Today has that sit-down interview with Styles where they talk about whether or not he's on the, the heavyweight level and he talks a lot about surviving and he points out how stupid the, the, the thing is. Mm-hmm. He also promises that we'll see embarrassing footage and I had assumed this would just be a recap of the last two months. Whoa, whoa, owned, owned. Yeah, I wrote, I wrote that joke down. I made sure I was like, this is a good joke. Say this joke. So the idea of this show is Jared opens it with the Red Shirts and Abyss being like, Red Shirts, take out Raven. We'll talk about Raven stuff after this. We'll I actually like this little promo. I gotta admit, this is a good little, the crew's here together. Yeah, and then he wants Abyss to take out Styles so that he has no challengers. Uh, yeah, and then, and then so he can continue not doing anything. Mm, so we, we see that a confrontation took place on the John Boy and Billy show. 
Are you a big fan? They're still in the air, apparently. I looked this up. They're still going, so good on them. Has Jeff Jarrett ever been back? He was banned. Yeah, so the Jimmy Hart's there. He's talking about all the Hulk Hogan stuff. He mentions how Hulk Hogan... <laughs> he mentions how Hogan wrestled in front of 55,000 people in the Tokyo Dome and how great and impressive that was and how everyone wants to know what what's... The... Actually, no, he didn't even bring up Bash at the Beach. It was one of the, the hosts. It's like, Jimmy, what's the deal with the Bash at the Beach? Jimmy, everyone wants to know. The whole world is interested in this Bash at the Beach angle. And I'm like punching my couch mm. in anger at this before jeff jarrett runs into the studio he starts beating up the guy who asked the question and then they do a bunch of interviews afterward being like oh jeff jarrett we didn't know he was here he's been on the show lots of times we thought he was our friend <laughs> it's funny, like we didn't know he was here and like the first thing jarrett says is like i'm on in the next hour <laughs> yeah. that was his justification for being there at the same time yeah he shows up early he's very Which I actually like because like why else would he just be stalking around this radio broadcast i honestly prefer the idea he's just following jimmy hart around no that, that's that, that is some real stone cold jeff jarrett yeah it's just like maybe a bad mouth me on this interview so i'm just gonna stand outside it really comes down to like jeff jarrett's at his best when he's just like doing his stone cold cosplay mm-hmm. so then we go to the ring where mike Janay is standing with jimmy hart jimmy talks about that that uh, the confrontation that took place in the john boy and billy show which is a syndicated radio show that goes all over the u.s as mentioned they still have a show these days which is on serious i think but congrats yeah nice. still on the radio well done so yeah, jimmy's like oh there could be potential lawsuits over this we're gonna have news about hulk hogan soon maybe as early as next week <laughs> cool i'm looking forward to it good news definitely uh jimmy then announces that he has a legendary surprise showing up for jeff jarrett that uh, uh, uh an icon of the business is here to to take out jeff tonight is it sting uh no sting's not here anymore until december oh it's time. So uh, Jeff comes out, demands to know who Jimmy has as his big surprise. Jimmy says, I'm not telling you. During this promo, Jimmy Hart says that there was a guy, a kid who had a poster and it was a really great poster and he holds the poster up and he's like, I'm going to bring this poster to Hulk Hogan. So I have two questions for you, Liam. Oh, he threw that out immediately after he went backstage. <laughs> I was going to ask, do you think Hulk Hogan actually got that poster? And do you think he still has the poster? Uh, no, that went in the trash, like, the minute he went backstage. No, Linda actually took it from him in the divorce. <laughs> oh, there you go. <laughs> I'm bringing the poster with me, Hulk. My prize possession! <laughs> it was in a frame over his bed. I love nothing more than this poster this child made me! Uh, yeah, he puts it in his poster room. Mm. And then our main event of that show, AJ Styles faces Abyss in the beginnings of one of the rivalries that will define TNA for for, like, two years. Yeah, let's get to, let's get to that cage match. Uh, must be mentioned, Abyss had his Abyss theme for the first time this month. I think he had it for the first time when he came out for the Don Harris match. So he's Abyss now. He's fully Abyss. He had cool lights that were spinning like a black hole. Yeah. That was fun. The wettest he may have ever been at this point. Even I was like, listen, brother. <laughs> you want to cool off on the wetness. <laughs> yeah. Fucking go stand under a lampshade for a bit. <laughs> There was a cool hype package beforehand with this Are You Ready theme song. It's like, Are You Ready? Boom, boom, boom. Hyping up this AJ and Abyss match. Tanae says that AJ has never wrestled anybody like Abyss, even though he literally wrestled Lex Luger last week. There's this guy called Samoa Joe. Listen, has he wrestled Samoa Joe by... He's probably had wrestled Samoa Joe by October. I think he has. Probably not like a notable thing. Let's find out. I wrote Soma Joe. Feels like that was probably a match that happened in PWG at that stage. Holy shit. Garrett. Yeah. How many times would you like to say that Samoa Joe has had a singles match with AJ Styles? I'm going to guess 85. You would be wrong. (laughs) 
as it is actually 91 oh, times. Because so I, I assumed he obviously would have worked in a bunch of TNA and a bunch on TNA house shows. TNA house shows and WWE house shows. Yeah, I was going to say, and then they had that feud in WWE where they would have worked the house shows for probably like four months straight. So they probably had a ton of matches. Garrett, the first ever Samoa Joe AJ Styles singles match. 2003. Oh, what month? November. Oh, no. Was it before or after this? The 29th. Mike today is right. He hadn't wrestled Samoa Joe yet. Wow. Because <laughs> this is the 19th. He didn't have another singles match with Samoa Joe for two years. Not until the DNA ones? Not until PWG All-Star Weekend. Ah. And then Sacrifice 05. So it's not until they, sh- they wrestled in TNA that they truly became rivals, Liam. Well, let's see if he wrestled him in a multi-man. <laughs> Would you like to guess how many multi-mans they've been involved with? Far too many. 194. That's a lot of matches. You must really like get to know someone at that point. Okay, he has in fact wrestled Samoa Joe in a four-way. Mm-hmm. Oh, this is a fun four-way. It is Jay Briscoe defeating AJ Styles, Chris Saban, and Samoa Joe. Chris Saban's in the match, so I like it. <laughs> yes, and you're notoriously down on the other three. Mm, but Chris Saban's there, so you know that's a good match. So maybe we'll give we'll give we'll forgive Mike today because like Lex Luger is he really on Abyss's level? But he hadn't wrestled Samoa Joe yet for another like ten days. So, <laughs> Garrett, I found another uh, famous uh, three way involving AJ Styles and Samoa Joe. Sure, AJ Styles. Yeah, Samoa Joe, Brian Danielson. Oh, that's not Christopher Daniels. <laughs> yeah, clearly step down. There's a three way on 2007 Impact where it's Styles, Saban, and Joe, and that match actually rocks. Hmm. <laughs> These guys must... I wonder if they got sick of wrestling each other, if they're just cool with it. I imagine by the time they're in WWE, they're, they're literally just like, ah, play the hits coast. You know, they, they probably don't even care. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I'm just scrolling through the history of Multimans and Samoa Joe and AJ Styles. And like a year after the Unbreakable 3-way, Ring of Honor ran one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> with Samoa Joe, AJ Styles, Christopher Daniels, and Jimmy Yang. Yeah, that's the, that's the addition that really takes it to the next level. <laughs> it's so funny. It's like, you could just do the match again at that point. Mm. But no, you have Jimmy Yang there. It's a whole new dynamic. Actually, TNA did that match again at Hardcore War. Yeah, that match rules. That's like the forgotten Saza Daniels Joe match. How many times have they done this three-way? Like five. They did Unbreakable. They did Hardcore. Hardcore War was a house show. It doesn't really count. And they did it Against All Odds. They did it at Destination X. And they did it at Turning Point 09. I, I thought that I only remembered the Turning Point and the the original. Because the Destination X one, That's a little, they, did not, they did this match in Ultimate X, Liam. Really? It is a Styles Daniels Joe Ultimate X, which we'll get to during the good period in TNA history. There is five, I think. No, three. Okay, there's three that are listed here. The- Hardcore War. IPW All or Nothing. Mm. <laughs> Ran Joe defeating AJ Styles and Christopher Daniels for the TNA X Division title. Whoa. Well, he retained, but... And then, yeah, they did... And, oh, because uh, Daniels was just Daniels in the in the last one, I guess? Yeah. Okay, makes sense. All right, let's. We got uh, TNA Impact number two hundred and fifty-four can wait. Mm, so yeah, uh, Stars and Abyss. It wasn't like a gr- truly great, great match because their lockdown two thousand five main event is a truly great match. Yeah, that match is fantastic. The, the the you see the chemistry between these two here. It's like oh, they've got it. Like there is a great match in these two. This also had a smoothness and a crispness that sets it apart from most TNA matches. And they got time as well, which I think is a big problem with a lot of the matches on these shows these days. Like, the majority of them go, like, six to eight minutes. That's because they try and fit, like, 12 matches on a show. Yeah, when they're cramming so much on these shows that, like, even Sting and Jarrett went, like, seven, I think. Like, everything on these shows is quick and fast and in and out. Because they treat it like TV. 
yeah, and nothing feels substantive, nothing feels, like, memorable. So that when you do get Styles and Abyss, who I think went, like, 15, they did get plenty of time, it's like, oh, it's an actual real, like, match. It's a real main event. Yeah, and there's some good stuff, though. So AJ wins with a a quick roll-through. He cannot even get a second, like, a single second. He got a big win over the Monster Abyss, which I think is Abyss's first loss in TNA. And immediately actually no i think he lost he lost the cash in the first blood so i guess it's his second but he immediately gets beaten up by the red shirt security like immediately after winning the match the red shirts run out that's what they do they're the coolest they attack him then like he makes a comeback he fights them off then he's like running up the ramp and then jared comes out and beats him up from behind (laughs) so it's like oh for god's sake this man can't catch a break this ramp is not your place uh raven comes out brawling the, the red shirts get the better of them before jimmy hart's big announcement is that the american dream dusty wrote us back yeah the legendary american dream and he has a cool mustache yeah daddy so dream clears house dream makes the save dream announces that next week he will face jeff jarrett one-on-one in a fans revenge match okay we didn't have any like news stories about this yeah so i was curious about the legitimacy of the fans in the fans revenge match i think like Okay, so the, on the next show, we do have the Fans Revenge match, NWTNA paper number 72, November 26th, 2003. Through the show, we do see Jimmy Hart recruiting the fans. And, like, yeah. one of them looks like a plant, and the other doesn't. So, I, I'm not sure. I don't know. But they, they could both easily just be, like, dudes who are training. Yeah, because, like, the, the, the dude who looks like the most 2003 guy ever, like, he looks like a plant. He looks like a guy who's wrestling in 2003. Yeah. The first big guy. You're like, you're a worker. Yeah, you're a wrestler. Whereas the other guy is, looks like spindly and he has a dodgy mustache. So I'm like, oh, maybe you're like... Yeah, but I could definitely see him being like a trainee, you know? Because mm. okay, my theory is that these are all just trainees. Yeah. Danny and Alex, by the way, their names. Because they need to ensure that people aren't going to fucking just whip Jared in the goddamn face. I don't know. Like, you have Jimmy Hart out there with them because the idea is it's it's nine fans and Jimmy Hart. And they do give them very limited opportunities to whip Jared. Hmm. I would have liked to have been the guy who's like, yeah, fuck you, Dusty, bang! <laughs> He'll turn. Like, because, like, technically there's no rule that says they can't take it to Dusty as well. Yeah, this is just a regular strap match, except it's fans' revenge, so they get to strap Jared. Lucky I'm up there. I, I would have been I would have been gone for everyone. Which is not the only time we do this step. We'll do one in 2006 as well. I don't mind fans' revenge. I think it's a fun little step. Uh, but yeah, I'm very curious about the legitimacy of the, the fans. I choose to believe... Uh, I think it's a work. Oh, so yeah, Jimmy Hart picks the fans out. He like r- runs around with the fans, chanting "Whip them like a dog." <laughs> sure. Which like don't whip dogs. No. Yeah. What the fuck? Yeah. Dusty has a, a backstage promo where he calls himself a national treasure. I would agree. It's true. Oh, all by the way, all of the fans, Liam, they had "I smacked it raw." I want more TNA T-shirts. Uh, I assume they're talking about Jeff Jarrett. They're smacking Jeff Jarrett raw, baby. They want it more. That could be all of our fans. We could do fans' revenge. That's true. If you if you'd like to whip us, we we'll have to set a decent Patreon tier for our fans whipping us. Yeah, that's, yeah, like at least forty bucks. We'll have the fans' revenge tier on Patreon where you can whip us. That should be our top tier. We should think of something for it. So yeah, Dusty calls himself a national treasure. He likes the match. Like most people can't call themselves national treasures. Dusty Rhodes can. Yeah, I really was a fan of him and Nick Cage when they were like together for that time period. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, please give me that carrot. I need it. Listen, I'm a fan of the National it's, Treasure. It's movies. midnight. We've crossed we've crossed over officially past midnight, so I'm gonna get incoherent now. Because <laughs> you were so coherent before now. 
Oh, yeah, I was eloquent. Mm. I did a great AJ Styles impression, which was very undervalued, I feel. True. No, your Jimmy Hart was very good, though. Mm. Uh, he talks about how the people ra- raised his family, so apparently the-, the fans in the asylum are responsible for Cody. They should be in the next fans' revenge. Uh, and then we did have the fans' revenge match between Jarrett and Dusty Rhodes, which I, I really liked how this has worked. Because, like, Jarrett would lock up with Dusty and then, like, instinctively take a powder, but then he'd get whipped and he'd, like, be like, fuck, fuck, fuck. Yeah, it's good. Before it, it descended into the same thing all of these do, where Chaos ran out, Watts ran out, AJ ran, runs out, Red Shirts run out. <laughs> it would have been so much fun if they all ran out and the fans were like, fucking no! Get the fuck away! Stay away! No! <laughs> whip, 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 whip. I would I would have been going for Red Shirt security. <laughs> Don Carlos, you, you catch me in the streets, I'm whipping you. So yeah, we have the the the, the same old brawl to end every show because uh, I should have mentioned that there's oh we didn't even do the show opening promo. Oh. Who cares, man? It's the same one. It does have Eric Watts in it though. So again, <laughs> Jared comes out, and I want to die is what I wrote in the notes here. <laughs> he does the exact same promo he's done a million times. By the way, this is like it is interesting. This is the Jeff Jarrett that we will know and maybe not so love. For the next three years. Like, this is the TNA Jeff Jarrett heel. And he wasn't really this for the first, like, 18 months of TNA. He was various different things. He was Stone Cold Jeff Jarrett. He was, like, a random mid-card guy. He was a babyface. But, like, the overbearing, obnoxious heel Jeff Jarrett that I think everybody thinks of when they think of TNA Jeff Jarrett is this. We, we finally gotten here. It's this character that we're seeing now in November 2003. Do you think we have finally entered orbit to planet Jarrett? Oh, no. <laughs> This is his world. He does have a stable now. He has the Red Shirts and Abyss and Don Callis. Yeah, it does feel very, like, proto-planet Jarrett, doesn't it? Mm. And Abyss is in both, so... Yeah. Uh, I'm very excited for the eventual War of the Worlds with Planet Jarrett and Wardlow's World. Ah, yes, of course. That should be his stable. Who would you put in Wardlow's World? From NWA TNA. Abyss. Mm. The Red Shirt Security. <laughs> I just want to... This is a beefy stable. Uh, who else is large? Eric Watts. X. Oh, what's this world and Wardlow's world? Oh, these are the, the feuding worlds. Worlds collide. See, so yeah, Eric Watts interrupts Jeff Jarrett here and announces that Jeff Jarrett will defend the NWA world title against AJ Styles next week. So we'll cover that on our December episode, the Styles and Jarrett rematch. Oh, is that going to be good? <laughs> I don't remember. Uh, please, Liam, discuss Eric Watts' beanie look. That's a great look. Mm-hmm. The thing that I enjoy about Watts. Yeah. Many things. Is he just looks like he's having a good time. Mm. I made note of it actually in a match where I probably shouldn't be having a good time, but in the Clockwork Orange House of Fun match, it was a moment where he was in the corner, and I swear to God, my man was beaming. <laughs> like, <laughs> just a big smile on his face. He was having so much fun. He's happy to just be wrestling on television. Yeah, I can I can really relate to an Eric Watts. He, he is the working man's pro wrestler. I did like how in this promo, he basically retconned everything that happened over the last two months. He's like, Rick Steiner? Yes. Me. Me. Jim Duggan? Me. Sting? Me. And it's like, literally none of those were you. <laughs> it was Jimmy Hart. Yeah, this had nothing to do with you. What are you talking about? It's almost like, Watts' world is all about him. There was a, a line in this promo where Jeff Jarrett said, you look D-O-A, and then Watts turned it around and said, well, you look D-I-C-K. And then he did a little, he did Alex Shelley's embassy. <laughs> he did a little dance, Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, good stuff. Garrett, do you think we could sell a parody shirt, mm-hmm. right? That is the Jericho Appreciation Society. Right. But it's the Jarrett Appreciation Society. I thought you were going to say Watts Appreciation Society, but sure. No, because I had to go with the JAS. Is there anybody else whose name begins with J on the show? Jim Mitchell. 
Jimmy Hart Appreciation Society. No, I would not be a part of that. John Boy and Billy Appreciation Society. <laughs> Julio Janeiro Appreciation yeah, Society. Yeah, that's the one. There we go. <laughs> uh, so yeah, the, the key thing here is that Stars and Jarrett's made for next week, which is the reason I figured we'd probably have to bring it up. Okay. So that's your main event scene for the month, basically. Glad we're done. (laughs) We don't have much else to talk about. Let's go to Raven. Quoth the Raven. Quoth the Raven nevermore indeed. So Raven is feuding with the Red Shirts for the entire month. We talked about a bunch of it already, but there's some bits and pieces that we didn't cover. But probably the most important part, we should finish off. Raven faced James Mitchell on the first show of the month. Yeah, okay, this might be my favourite match of the month. Oh yeah, like I, I gave the Stars Abyss match a higher rating because it was, like, technically speaking, a better wrestling match. But, like, this was the perfect version of what a James Mitchell-Raven match should look like. Yeah, 100%. And the whole show-long story leading up to it, with, like, Mitchell being like, oh, I gotta get the fuck out of here. That was actually, I believe, it wasn't that? That was from the week before. Yeah, they did one of the things where they showed, like, a quick promo from the week before, where after Raven announced that he'll be facing James Mitchell in a, a Last Man Standing match, they, they 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 cut to, like, parking lot footage of James Mitchell trying to run away, and he's like, yo, Hudson, you know how to hotwire a car? Which we found out, Scott Hudson does not know how to hotwire a car. No, but I love that segment. And he's like, he's checking car doors to see are any of them open. As if, like, how did you get here, man? <laughs> you clearly got a lift. It's fine. So, and even without just those guys specifically, this whole show was built up to this too, because we open up with The Gathering versus Laz and Kid Cash, mm-hmm. and um, uh, Julio uh, dressed up like Raven. I'm beginning to think that Julio Gennaro might be a little more committed to Raven than CM Punk is. I don't know. I, who, CM Punk is very lost without Raven as well. Yeah, so we had that, obviously that match, which was the lead up to it, uh, which we also got to see the natural evolution of the Kid Cash character. He's now a homophobe as well. Uh, I, on commentary, they were like, NWATNA of a sense of humor pairing Kid Cash and Laz. And like, is it's literally that just because he's a homophobe? Is that what we're saying here? Yeah, because well, like, Laz is supposed to be like non-gendered too. Mm. So like, it's a real gross bullshit. The outrageous Laz here. as well, by the way, Liam. He's not Laz, he's the outrageous <laughs> Laz. Still, like, looks like a crater wrestler on random, but <laughs> I appreciate Laz. I did. I liked it in that match. Punk did the Samoa Joe face wash. And I'm like, is he taking shots at Joe here? No, he's taking shots at Nick Gage, obviously. That's true. And by the way, the gathering should not have taken that long to put away Kid Cash and Laz. That match went like eight minutes. So they should have won it in like two. And the gathering looked good as a team. I saw them the couple times that we saw them this month. They were pretty good together. Mm. After that, we had the Raven promo. Where we get the die. Mitchell die. Yeah. And he t- tells the gathering to stay in the stay in the back. He doesn't want the gathering's help again. I like um the subtle punk Raven stuff mm. throughout the entire relationship. Like Mitchell mentioning that his lackeys are being manipulated, punk no showing and like Julio dressing up, but punk's just himself. I just like the little things that they that they sprinkled out. Some rare, like consistent storytelling throughout the months. Yeah, and even the touch here where like, we've gone a month now of Raven being like, I don't want help from the Gathering anymore. We'll talk more about that story as we go through this month as well. But like, Raven had the Die Mitchell Die painted on his chest, but so did Julio in the opening match. Yeah. So it's like, there's the commitment to Raven even when Raven doesn't want anything to do with them anymore. <laughs> Punk did not have Die Mitchell Die on his chest. No, he's not committed to, to Raven that much. Even though he is. Yeah, so like, that's a, it's just a fun little interesting stuff. And it's nice to see these little crumbs. Hmm. So that does bring us to the Raven and Mitchell last man standing match, which as mentioned, perfect. Absolutely perfect. I really enjoyed this a lot. Uh, Mitchell was really good here. Mm. 
Because like James Mitchell did train to be a wrestler. He did wrestle little, even though Mike Dene lied. He's like, this is the first James Mitchell match. It's like, no, he trained and he did like some few bits and balls before he did pivot into being a manager. And Most m- most managers do the same pro wrestling training that pro wrestlers do. Yeah, so he, he did take a couple bumps and he, everything he did looked good. Every, like, and I love the, the story of the match where Raven just beat his ass. He bled. He bled like absolute crazy. One of the few times that blood still felt meaningful in this company. Yeah, because everybody bleeds in TNA. Like Sandman bleeds before every single match. The six-man tag was the most egregious. I was like, I don't care about anyone bleeding here except Eric Watts because I think he might die. <laughs> you don't trust him to bleed. No, did you see how much he was bleeding? Oh, uh, yeah. He's committed to the Clockwork Orange match, Liam. Dude, it was bad. It was like, not only because, the, you have like, these levels of blood where it's like, oh, like, uh, Joe Legend had good blood in that, where it was like, got all over his forehead and like, looked good. Watts, it looked like blood had exploded in his face. <laughs> Because it was watery, and it was like a Jackson Pollock painting, just thrown on his face. It was real- I was concerned. Clearly Watts, a great bleeder. And it was selling it great too, because that was when they were- they were, um, handcuffed to each other on the outside. Mm. And like, I forget who- who was he handcuffed to? One of the red shirts. I think it was, uh, Kevin Northcott. Or was it Ryan Yeah, Northcott was trying to get in the ring, but because Watts had bled out, he was so heavy, and he couldn't get out to go help his friends. (laughs) But yeah, I, I love the way that they turn this where the gathering show up at ringside, which is what slightly distracts Raven and allows Mitchell to hit a low blow and gain control for a little bit. Yeah. But then Raven just gets control back, hits him with the, the Raven effect and counts him out for 10. Raven has conquered James Mitchell. And he's done. Yeah. James, and there's a, a promo from James Mitchell the following week, which is like a post-match one, similar to the CM Punk one that they showed on Rampage, where it's just like him backstage bleeding like absolute shit. <laughs> Mm. being like i will come back but i will have to take some time to lick my wounds because you kicked my ass so badly and like um, raven mentions in one of his later promos i'm the guy that drove jim mitchell out of tna Mm. so after the match despite their protestations the gathering is set free liam raven is like we are done i do not need you anymore go your own way he didn't say he didn't need them anymore he just said that he had to do this by himself with his self-righteous attitude. Yeah, it's like, I've always done this by, uh, by my, on my own. I will continue to do it on my own. Not true. He had a flock. Yeah, the whole thing was he had a flock. You, you've literally had a group of followers everywhere you've been. Yeah, but now he's like, uh, I am setting you free. Go do your own thing. It's it's cool. You don't need to follow me around anymore. <laughs> Punk here. Just wailing. My favorite thing is they cut to Mike today and Don West to pivot to the main event. And you just hear Punk off camera being like, what are we going to do without Raven? <laughs> What about Raven? What about Raven indeed, Punk? So yes, the Gathering are like lost puppies without their leader. Fun stuff. Raven and Jim Mitchell received a lot of praise from the wrestlers for their match last week. Obviously, Raven was getting deserved credit for carrying a non-wrestler to a good match. Meanwhile, Mitchell was praised for being a non-wrestler who held his own. And friends were especially impressed with what he did because they're aware of his back problems he struggles with. The cane Mitchell brings on on television isn't just a gimmick. He uses it off camera to get around. So Mitchell, despite having back problems, despite needing the cane to get around comfortably, did a hell of a job in that match. Yeah. Devil bleeds red. Mmm. So, following week, Raven comes out to try and get his hands on Jarrett, as mentioned. He tries to get a promo, but then the Red Shirts attack Jarrett. So, later in the show, it's a match made. Raven and a partner faces the Red Shirt security in a tag team match. We then go backstage where where the Gathering are are talking to Raven, who's lying bloody on the floor, as he tends to do in these shows. (laughs) And the Gathering are like, we don't care if it's Punk or or Julio. Uh, You know, we'll support either way. Just once you choose one of us to be your partner, that's cool. I like that Raven's just like, <laughs> he's just on the ground. He's like, these fucking idiots. I told them I'm not gonna be with helping them. <laughs> like, fuck off, man. These people won't leave poor Raven alone. 
I relate right to Raven here because it was a lot like when I was a kid and my cousins would come to my house mm. and I'm like, I just want you to fuck off. I don't want you to be here at all. Why are you still here? Please go. <laughs> Do you think CM Punk also would break all of Raven's action figures and play with his Yu-Gi-Oh cards and ruin their quality? Oh, you poor soul. Mm. Do you think do you think they would get on his games and delete his save files? Mm. Mm. That's why the Raven Punk feuds happened. <laughs> you deleted See, my freaking what what game did 2000 like what what year is this? 2003 2003 November 2003 hot games. Well, I was talking about the year in which your cousins ruined your life, but sure. Oh, oh I don't know from 2000 and Five to 2015. What was the big game that Liam loved in that period? Devil May Cry. <laughs> Delete, deleting Liam's Devil May Cry save files so he can't play all the post game stuff. He just has to start again. Deleting, uh, you know you know what happened? Alright, this is what I imagined started the whole Punk Raven feud. Mm-hmm. Punk came over to Raven's, right? Raven's like, alright, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go head out, grab some food, see you in a minute. Came back, Punk was playing WWE Smackdown, here comes the pain. Right. And Raven's like, I don't, I don't recognize these crater wrestlers. And he's like, oh yeah, I just made my own. I just deleted over some of the ones you had. And then that's when Raven knew, I'm coming for this game. He deleted the Raven cause to add in CM Punk cause. The modded Raven inserts that you had to like, <laughs> hack in. So you could get Raven in the game. Yeah, the Raven and the Vampiro cause that were in there. I wonder if it was Raven in Here Comes the Pain. I can find out for you if it's right here on my screen. Mm. Damn it, why would it have the roster? Was Here Comes the Pain 2002 or 2003? It was 2003, right? 2003. That's because I'm on the Hot Games of 2003 page. Uh, It does not look like Raven was on this roster. Unless he's in Legends. Is he in Legends? He is a legend. Is he in NPCs? Is he in Divas? (laughs) He's definitely in Divas. This is a Divas match. Yeah, there's no Raven. Yeah, because he left in January, so it's probably right on the edge of whether or not he's Rodney Mack made it. It's a Mac Militant. Come to get it all. I'm gonna see who's the funniest person that's in this game. <laughs> no one. Well, <laughs> Ultimo Dragon. Oh, cool. Plus, he has the Ricky Steamboat music. Yeah. Well, it's the Ultimo Dragon music, but it became Ricky Steamboat's music. Well, we got um, George Steele. We got TNA legend Roddy Piper in here. Mm-hmm. That's about it. <laughs> Man, maybe this game sucks. I'm gonna take a hard anti Here Comes the Pain stance. There you go. It's only the one people like. Yeah. I'm gonna be like you with wrestling. <laughs> just be against the things people, people like. like it so I'm gonna shit on it hey I'm not a contrarian I'm just right sounds like a contrarian so Raven comes out he's about to wrestle the red shirts and he's like I need somebody as sadistic as crazy as I am and you just see Punk and Julio standing in the background being like is he gonna pick me is he gonna pick me is it gonna be me <laughs> they, keep, they keep pointing to each other too because like. they're, they're fine if it's either of them Liam they just wanna help Raven their pal what if he was like Alexis <laughs> hardcore country <laughs> He comes out as Vicky James. So Raven announces that he will be teaming with the Sandman. He, he's like, and here's Sandman. And the gathering are all sad. Raven and the Sandman face the Red Shirts. Red Shirts win after Joey Legend returns. He should have picked Punk. He should have picked Punk. Or Julio. Julio would have been there at ringside if he picked Punk, so Julio could have stopped Legend from interfering. Yeah, that's why you gotta trust the gathering so yeah legend returns join the red shirt security to cost raven and sandman the match to set up the following week a, a six-man tag team clockwork orange house of fun match as raven sandman and watts face northcutt wilson and legend i i liked this match and didn't care about this match at the same time i said hope liam gives this tons of stars like he did punk mjf because we all love formless aimless heatless brawlings with now apparently once there's some blood Hey, remember when you were like th- two minutes ago that you're like, 
Oh, I'm not a contrarian. That is the exact note that I wrote in my notes. Someone was feeling sassy at the time. I was nothing if not petty. So hey, Liam, you like this match? I just hate it when people like things, huh? The best part of this match was the red... uh, Well, actually, it was what's bleeding out on the outside. Mm -hmm. But highlight here, red shirt's literally doing a shield bomb. Yeah, damn right. They're the better shield. And yeah, just bad blood. No, that's a WWE show. No, they are bad blood. They should bring on bad blood and use that song. I missed opportunity. So the story here is that Raven and Sandman broke Wilson's arm to take him out of the, the red shirts because Joey Legend basically is going to replace Wilson in the red shirt security. If you're Wilson, you must feel like shit. <laughs> yeah, because the, there's no PW Torch. The, the buzz in the locker room is that Joey Legend is going to replace Ryan Wilson in the red shirt security gimmick. Wilson's best asset is considered his body, but even friends admit that he is too green for the position he's been given. Wilson is the same wrestler who worked as humongous on indie events in the southeast and was once considered a strong prospect by many in TNA. And still will be. We'll come back to Ryan Wilson in the year 2005. Ooh, I'm excited. I like Northgood. Yeah, he's not good, but he's like good enough. And he'll do like a J-Driller out of nowhere. Mm. <laughs> I forget, was it was it Northcote or Legend or what? So they were like, knows all these uh, martial arts and was a bouncer on Bourbon Street. I, I didn't even hear that. Oh, there was. they mentioned it and I was like, I could imagine that being Northcote, but I could also 100% see <laughs> Watts doing that. <laughs> oh no, we missed the interrogator segment on NWTNA baby number 70, which we did for the watch along uh, with Eric Watts and Goldilocks, Liam. Yes. Uh, a true blue couple, huh? The Goldilocks looked rough here. She's been looking rough since she came back. The The whole thing is that she's like side-eyeing Eric, everything Eric Watts says, but they're still like lovey-dovey. It's uh, She's having a bad time with this Eric Watts relationship. They are truly a toxic relationship. <laughs> but also like one where I can't imagine them without each other at the same time. Mm-hmm. Like they're both... Terrible for each other, but they're meant for each other. And her, like, her blouse is dirty. There's just, like, mud on it. I think that was the design of it. I don't think so. It's like, if it is, it's a very strange design for those clothes. Have you seen what everything else about her? <laughs> do, you, do you think that wouldn't be a design choice? I don't know. It's because she looked normal on the next show, because she was in the, the House of Fun match, because she was trying to, like, cheer on Eric Watts while he was bleeding out on the floor, as mentioned. But... She she looked normal and well dressed in that match, as opposed to here. I don't, I don't know. She's going through a phase right now. She is. Eric Watts is bad for people. Goldilocks might just be bad for Eric Watts too. It's true. I think it's both ways. I think they're just they're truly truly toxic. Yeah. So they asked her about Scott Hudson, and she gave out that Scott Hudson stole her job. Scab. They asked about Lex Luger, to which Eric Watts responded, "More like Lex Loser." Owned. Goldilocks, Prince, and Van Halen. Same. Uh, they wanted to know about Don was like hey what about your sex life and they're like yeah we fuck it's kind of the major thing of this character and then it ended with Goldilocks being like hey you're gonna get rid of Don Callis right right Eric you're gonna get rid of him right Eric you're gonna get rid of him huh it's like gonna get my job back right mm. and I know for PW George Eric Watts and Goldilocks are a couple on TV but are not dating in real life ah uh, the sheet's wrong again don't believe it for a second <laughs> The rag sheet's always trying to tear down good wrestling fucking relationships and stories. I I just, I truly don't believe it. So, NWTNA baby number 71, <laughs> Kevin Northcutt challenges Raven to a match. Later in the show, Raven shows up on the announce desk where his 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 head, his head is covered in a bandage, but the blood is still just trickling out under the bandage. This is one of the most disgusting pro wrestling things I have ever seen. Because uh, he bleeds more and more the longer he talks. It's gross. 
This is true blood. TNA's the blood promotion. Nowhere else. True blood? It's true blood? Yeah, damn right. We should watch watching true blood. So yeah, Raven says, he cuts a promo about how oh, the red shirts are just going to keep coming for me. I face Northcutt next week. It'll be Legend the week after. And then there'll be another obstacle in my way. So next week, I'll face Northcutt and Legend. Which is fair enough. Which does bring us to the last show of the month in which Raven faces Northcutt and Legend in a two-on-one handicap match. And it's fine. Yeah, he beats Northcutt. Who does he beat? He beats one of them. Mm. And then it's a DQ on the other one. So there you go. What a story. What a, what a match. Ooh. Now Raven does like the the promo on that show too. Yeah, so yeah, sorry. He beats Legend with the Raven effect. And then Legend comes back in, which isn't a DQ for some reason. But then Abyss runs out to attack them, which is the DQ. Mm. So they beat down. Styles takes out Abyss before the Gathering runs out to take out the Red Shirts. And Raven is like, oh, we're still not friends, are we? And they were like, we love you, man. <laughs> Let us love you. Please hug us. So then, uh, before the main event, Raven cuts a promo out. For one night only, he and the Gathering will reunite to face the Red Shirts and Abyss next oh, week. Oh, well, now you're just, now you're leading them on. Listen, they desperately want it. He'll just, he'll just give them little crumbs. That's not, that's more toxic than Goldilocks and Watts. Mm. Goldie Watts. Go- <laughs> Goldie Watts. <laughs> it's adorable. Gathering also beats Siaki and Ekmo this month. Actually, I have a note about that match. Sure, shoot. This was Shades of Extreme Rules 2009, CM Punk and Umaga. And as you may know, that was Umaga's last WWE match. Oh, you didn't tell me it was a sad note. Yeah, but it was just, a, a, I thought it was an interesting uh, thing that I know. I was like, ah, that these two would eventually, like, what, six years later, wrestle in um, Umaga's last WWE match. Mm. So it was the beginning of their rivalry here in November 2003 TNA. Yeah, in the the program where Umaga started to speak. Yeah. Cut promos. I think this is the last we've seen of Ekmo for a year. (laughs) Oh, Jesus. Punk, bad luck for Ekmo. This is the story of The One. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Alright, that brings us to the X Division for the month. Ah, uh, oh no. In which there was basically one thing that happened that played out over the entire month. There was the Michael Shane Triple Chance X Division Invitational. This is mostly just, this is not going to be a fun descriptor because it's mostly just talking about matches that didn't have heat. Yeah, so the idea of this is it starts with a gauntlet match. It started with Christopher Daniels versus Loki versus Chris Saban versus Chad Collier versus Sanjay Judd versus Johnny Storm versus Sharkboy versus the debuting X. I love X. Better known as PCO making his TNA debut. Whoa, whoa, don't be shoot trash. (laughs) Unmasking people left, right and center. Yeah, mask and X. The goal of ye. So there's that gauntlet match where the top five advance. The person who wins the match goes straight through to a number one contender's mm-hmm. triple threat match. And then the people who yes. finish from two to five go into a two qualifying matches. Two faces five, three faces four the following week. Mm-hmm. Or the two winners of those matches also advance to the triple threat number one contender's match. And the winner of that match is number one contender. Sure. So this plays out over the entire month. NWTNA, February number 69, November 5th. We have the gauntlet match in which all those men face off. It is won by the debuting X. 
Okay, do you, do you want to do the X talk now? I, I'm kind of, I feel sorry for X. Because I think if, if he debuted in a month where the crowd wasn't stone cold, this would have gotten over huge. I also think if he didn't look like shit. He looks so bad. If he was wearing the PCO outfit that he wears now, I think he would have gotten over. Even if he was just wearing like a singlet. Yeah. If he just came out in a singlet and a mask and he killed people. But it's the, the singlet with the weird like the denim. Jeans. <laughs> the, the jorts. He's wearing jorts. The jorts with like. A tribal tattoo print on the back. <laughs> it's so bad. I'm like, why Why would, did, like, did no one say, hey, we'll send you out there to look good instead of sending you out there to look like this? Was he doing X on, like, the indies? I don't think so. X was a, a TNA thing. That's the stupidest shit I've ever heard. Because, like, the whole idea here is that, like, the X Division is not about weight limits. It's about no limits. This is the first real time that they put, like, a heavyweight guy in there until they do it with Samoa Joe later in 2005 where they do it well. Uh, until they do it with David Young, thank you. Hey, David Young chance for the X Division title on, like, the third show I'll have you know. Yeah, there you go. Point proven. He faced AJ. But David Young is tiny. I do. He's not tiny. He's thick. But he's short. Yeah, but he's, he's weight. It's weight, not height limits, is it? But, but PCO is the first guy that they're like, oh, this is the big heavyweight guy coming in, dominating, powerbombing, piledriving everybody. And again, if this was a month where like the crowd just wasn't dead as it could possibly be, I think it would have gotten over. Because mm. he looked good. Like, in terms of, not fit, like, visibly, not aesthetically, but in terms of, like, his wrestling, his wrestling was great. He was tremendous. I really had a good time watching X. Because all he'd do is, like, powerbomb people and throw people around, and he'd do package pile drivers in 2003. Hmm. So, X won the match. He beat Chris Sabin with a package pile driver onto a chair. And then Daniels, Loki, Sabin, and Collier were the four who advanced into the qualifiers the following week. I know Dutch Mantel blew a gasket at the TNA show Wednesday night. He took the wrestlers who competed in the exhibition Battle Royal to task for going over their time limit. After threatening to find the wrestlers, Dutch followed up by screaming, You guys need to learn when to go home. How about you go home, Dutch? Yeah, you've ruined this company, Dutch. Should call you Butch. Put you on SmackDown. <laughs> Butch Mantel. <laughs> Butch. Teaming with Ridge Holland and Seamus. Honestly, if he was Butch Mantel, I'd be into it. <laughs> The son of Dutch, Butch is here. Yeah. <laughs> but he's British. Yeah. Uh, they did, in fact, actually institute a $50 fine for going long in the ring around your interviews the following week. They held a meeting. How about you fuck off? <laughs> I don't know, man. It feels bad. Don't, I don't feel, I don't know. I don't like the idea of, you know, taking money from people who probably aren't earning a fucking shit ton anyway. You think Chad Collier is making more than 50 bucks anyway? Yeah. Like, like come on. Like, how about you put it on the people like out there who should be who should know better at least? They like, don't don't do it to your duts and whatever. They just follow on what's going on. Mm. Also, it was a gauntlet match. It's like I I don't think this match went particularly long either. I didn't keep track of exactly how it went. I, if if it was ten minutes, I'd be surprised. How much of time did you give it? How about you yell at Jarrett for his twenty minute promos? Yeah, you get some time back. He did one of them on the show, and they went super long. Especially it's the X Division, guys. Come on. They get like three minutes a show anyway. Yeah. Like this match went 10 minutes, 17 seconds. How well, how long was it supposed to go? Like five minutes. It was like a nine-man gauntlet match. Ugh. Poor guys. Poor guys. Reportedly, the idea of using uh, PCO in this role came from Don Callis, who had worked with PCO in a Quebec indie show. <laughs> like, hey, you coward it out of saying Ouellette. Pierre-Carl Ouellette. There you go. You happy? You happy? <laughs> You happy? Yeah. I know, just, I saw you like, read it on the sheet and then go, uh, PCO. Well, because we call them PCO already. If I said Ouellette, people might not know who we were talking about. Uh, well, their brains might melt as if 
punk came out to be saying on the entrance. Like, the casual podcast listeners wouldn't have known. It's for the sake of clarity, Liam, not cowardice. For the sake of the casual fan. Cal Solomon on the end of the show and brought a tape to Jeff Jarrett sold him on the idea of bringing him in because he had actually, he lost a ton of weight because he lost like 100 pounds from how big he was at his heaviest, so he was in like super jacked shape. Yeah, he looked good. He looked very good. He didn't look good, but he looked good. Yeah. Again, if they just let him be himself and let him package pile driver people and push him, he would have actually gotten over. It works for literally everyone else who packaged pile drivers people. NWA team April number 70, November 12th. Chris Saban had to withdraw from the match because of the package pile driver he took in the chair, so they're really putting over that move as like a, a death move. So he was replaced in his match against Chad Collier by Sanjay Dutt. Do you have a lot to say about this Sanjay Chad Collier match, Liam? I don't have anything to say about this match. It was fine. I like so- I like Sanjay's story in this uh this whole run, mm. but that's about it. Oh, well, I guess I have a, a broader thought about the whole triple chance that I could I could talk about. You want to say it's bad? I mean, sure, but I get the idea. The idea is that it's a heel champion who's trying to get out of wrestling. Mm. He's like, I'm going to make this super convoluted series of matches so that I don't have to wrestle anyone. Yeah, so that Michael Shane can take a few weeks off. He's he's not even on the first two shows of the month, and it makes a lot more sense too with a the exhibition champ who normally defends his title like three times a month anyway. Yeah. So he's like, how do I get out of defending my title? I'm going to make this big convoluted rule set for my next challenger. So yeah, we do have those two matches on pay-per-view number 70 on November 12th. We do have Sanjay against Chad Collier and we do have Daniels against Loki. Daniels and Loki uh, contributes toward Triple X exploding. Mm. <laughs> yeah, no one cares about it. Nobody cares. It's so strange. It feels like Triple X was in a different company how little people care about. It basically was to be fair. Yeah, so Daniels beat Loki, then after the match, uh, they had a handshake, Loki walked up the ramp, X showed up, he destroyed Daniels, but Loki didn't help him. Yeah, what the fuck, Loki? And then the other match, Sanjay beat Chad Collier, but same thing happened, uh, Sanjay was walking up the ramp, X jumped up from behind, dropped him on the stage. X kind of rules. Yeah, he's killing people. Shame he looks terrible. <laughs> that is the, the big problem. <laughs> and then, end of the 18th, November 71, November 19th, Sanjay Dutt defeated Christopher Daniels and X. So the guy who wasn't even meant to be in it actually ended up winning it, becoming number one contender for the Exhibition Championship. And they pinned X here, which was unusual. Yeah, well, I guess they, at this point, they're like, we're giving up on the X thing. Yeah. I, we didn't even mention it, but my favorite thing about this entire tournament was the PowerPoint graphics explaining the rules. <laughs> That was pretty fun. It was like it, just a flat-out PowerPoint display that you've seen a million times in every PowerPoint de- de- demonstration we de- you've ever sat through, with the bullet points popping in with the animations and all the like the fonts. It was a PowerPoint display, and I kind of love it. I love you, JB. Very impressed by X being a base for all this really modern indie work. Because mm. like he's not a, like you you know he's a guy who can do the crazy shit, but I don't think you expect him to be like, oh hey Sanjay, do your double tilt to whirl through me, and I'll, and I'll be able to do it fine. Yeah. In the finals, my favorite part of the entire triple threat. Which was uh, good work-wise, but the crowd didn't give a shit, and they were killing each other for it. <laughs> it was the franchise his little phone? But that so that confused me so much. It's like because he was standing in the crowd with Tracy, and they were taking what appeared to be a selfie. Yeah, and it's like did did, did phones have like front-facing cameras back in two thousand three? But it was a little flip one, so I assume it did. But it was also like really tiny. It was so small. What worst franchise getting this fancy freaking front-facing camera phones back in 2003? I don't know. I mean, the franchise has its ways, I assume. And I believe that's the world's first selfie, Liam. Uh, unfortunately, we have to give that to WCW, Sonny Ono. Oh. But it's the very first TNA selfie. <laughs> oh, I like that he makes increasingly cackly faces as he's looking at his phone camera. He's like, you know, regular pose and then doing like the franchise laugh. Yeah. Yeah, I think we're. Uh, I'll give a little spoiler for the for the upcoming TNA draft. Mm-hmm. 
I'll tell you right now, Franchise is a highly touted pick in the Liam camp. Which means I'm going to take him from you just out of spite. Oh, what, what if I'm working you, huh? What if I want you to take Franchise so I can get the first real pick? Ha <laughs> ha! Mind games have already begun! Because, yes, uh, just like 2002, when we finish December, we will do a draft of all of TNA 2003 and put together a show like we did for Patreon I have notes. Liam has been preparing for this, apparently. I have matches that I want to main event with. Mm. I have some cards that I want to aim for. So Liam is ready for this. Yeah, I, I'm t- I took the loss last time hard. Because he booked a, a meme sex card and got his ass kicked. <laughs> yeah, so now I'm, I'm booking a real card. It uh, must be noted, I think this is the first time the BME was given its name. Uh, I, th- I thought they did that throughout the tournament, but I might have been wrong. Because he did three BMEs to X in the in the finals, and Mike Tanae said, you know, that's what he calls that. He calls it the best moonsault ever. Uh, you know what's funny? I love the, the BME, obviously. Mm-hmm. I think I love his Arabian moonsault more. Right. So I don't even think it's his best moonsault ever. <laughs> it is a very good moonsault, though. Uh, the one that he hit on X in this match was fantastic. Yeah, he hit three of them. No, I mean, like, the Arabian. Oh, right. I really loved it. Because like, he kind of waited for him, but he hit it so clean. Mm. And, yeah, the crowd was like, woo. <laughs> it's so sad. I, I turned up the volume because I, I thought my volume was low. Again, I really think X would have gotten over a period where the crowd wasn't, like, catatonic. Yeah, well, he got over two decades later. Yeah, you just got to wait for his Jonah match at Sacrifice 2022, where he had a kick-ass match and the crowd went nuts for it. Hey, remember him and Gunther? No. Yeah. Gunther. Remember when Gunther and Butch had that big NXT match? <laughs> Gunther and Butch. It's a, a real banner start to the year for them. I can't wait to see what Elia's new name is. Oh, A-Kid definitely getting a new name. <laughs> yeah, there's not a hope he's... Well, he might be fine in NXT, but if he ever makes the main roster, there's not a hope in hell that man has been called A-Kid on the main roster. Or they actually make him a child. <laughs> Vince is like, why do we have a kid? Uh, actually, he was one of the names announced for the DLC. Mm. And um, my favorite thing about it was, <laughs> someone's like, what the fuck is an A-Kid? <laughs> And I was like, well, these fake fans. So, NWA Tina Baby number 72, Chris Saban got his revenge on X. They faced one-on-one after X took Chris Saban out of the Triple Chance Invitational. By the way, it's not a triple chance. Because, like, if you lose at the start, you're out. You don't get three chances. You know who did get a triple chance, though? Sanjay motherfucking Dutt, and he won it. true. He got a double chance, though. No, because he lost, and then that was his first chance, and then he won the the thing, and that was his second chance, and then he won the X Division three-way, and that was his third chance. (sighs) Fine. But yeah, Sanjay pinned X. I don't think we actually mentioned that. It's a good point. If Sanjay pinned X to become number one contender. If Sanjay had have lost that, it would have made sense. But the fact that he did win it actually gave it credibility. <laughs> mm. So Chris Saban faces X, which is most notable for the, the bump PCO takes on the ramp in this match. It's the classic PCO bump. I think it's more than the classic PCO bump. I don't know. I, I feel like I've seen him do this a billion times now. Because he takes Chris Saban, he, he slams him on the ramp, then he climbs to the top rope. And jumps senton off the top onto the ramp, lands. Kind of thankfully, Chris Saban moves because he would have died if he actually hit it. He has hit that to people before, right? I don't know because he does it on the apron now, which looks relatively safe by all things considered. I don't know, man. That apron one looks so scary. Didn't he get real fucked up on his PWG debut? I don't remember. I feel like he did that and he got real messed up doing it. Mm. But yeah, this bump off the top, senton onto the ramp. A guy who is as big as PCO. Like, the man must have the strongest back in the history of backs. He must just be, like, all muscle, right? That's the only way you can take that. Mm. Yeah, so Chris Saban throws him in the ring and pins him. So X is firmly done. I want to touch PCO's back. Not in a weird way. Just in a, just... I mean... (laughs) Maybe in a weird way. A little bit of a weird way. I just, I gotta, I gotta feel what it feels... Like, it has to feel like a horse. Purely scientifically, you'd like to touch PCO's back. Yeah. 
like I grew up on a a, a horse farm, mm-hmm. and you would pat them, and like especially their legs, they they like it's like a brick wall of muscle, and I imagine it has to be the same thing. Mm. Because that's the only way you can take that sort of impact for, for the decades he's been taking that sort of impact. Well, he didn't wrestle for a while, so that helps. Yeah. Then he had the Gunther match, brought him back to prominence. Well, I, I suppose we should give credit to the, the Southern Indies, because then they like really fire him up. I don't remember. I don't remember the PCO Indie narrative. I see. I remember this because that was when, that was the discourse of the day. Oh, the Southern Indie War? Yeah. A note based on that bump from the Wrestling Observer. X did a psycho bump doing a swanton off the top and hitting the floor solid, causing him to lose to the much smaller Chris Saban. The bump... (laughs) This is my favorite part of the note. The bump was apparently the talk of the unofficial post-match party at Hooters and was actually one of the crazier bumps you'll ever see from a guy his size. I want to go to Hooters with the X Division. DNA's unofficial post-match Hooters party. Yeah. What is at Hooters? I don't know what a Hooters is. You don't know what a Hooters is? Like I, like, I know what a Hooters is, but, like, I don't know what food they do. They do, like, your generic American food. Burgers and wings Hooters and shit. Hooters menu. I'm going to the Hooters menu. <laughs> I go to the Hooters for food. They got wings, burgers, sandwiches and tacos. Yeah. Seafood, salad, fries and sides. What are their apps? You an apps guy? I don't like the word appetizers, but yes. Wow. America, huh? This shit is just meals. <laughs> like, in what world is... Any of this just not a meal. The apps have sides. <laughs> <laughs> I went to. Uh, I don't even remember where it was in America, but we got like chicken dippers as the 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 appetizer because like it's chicken dippers, and it was like literally the size of my fucking head. And it's like this literally. Uh, this could feed me for three days. How is this an appetizer? Yeah. I'm looking at these menus. These shit's crazy. Liam's flabbergasted by Hooters. This is. Uh, oh, my heart is like hurting. There's so much fried shit. Yeah. Welcome to America, my friend. Oh, you've never been to America, so you wouldn't know. I've never been out of Australia. Wow, this is truly disgusting. That's Hooters for you. That's where the post-show party takes place. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll go to the next one and we'll, I'll get the Twisted Texas Melt. Daytona Beach Sauce? What the fuck is that? And then to wrap up the exhibition for the month to take Liam away from Hooters. Now I'm finding out what Daytona Beach Sauce is. Feel free to keep going. Michael Shane defeated Sanjay Dutt to retain the exhibition championship after Tracy interfered. Announcing the new franchise of Shane Douglas, Tracy Brooks, and Michael Shane. I'm into this group. It's three people I like. You're a big fan of the new franchise? Yeah, that indie guy that you like. <laughs> what indie guy? Franchise guy. We made the joke last time. Titus Alexander? Oh yeah, that's his name. I forgot about that. He should be added to this group. Yeah. <laughs> you're like, that indie guy, you're like, I'm like, who? <laughs> uh, yeah, a nice little match. A decent little match. Nothing special. Yeah, I got not much to say about it. I find it funny that it's like, big tournament and then lose. But it makes sense. Like, Dutt had to wrestle every week and Michael was like, I'm going to come in and win now. And even, like, PCO took him out a couple times so that like, he's beaten up post-match as well. Michael Shane is good in this role as the heel X-Division champ. Mm. Uh, it must be mentioned, Shane Douglas did wrestle Sandman earlier in the month where Tracy interfered to cost Sandman the match where Tracy did join the new franchise beforehand. Mm. I want to appreciate how much the Sandman is willing to die in... Like, nothing mid-card matches. Yeah, there was a belly-to-belly into the rail in this match, where he just took the full belly-to-belly, but he didn't, like, take it half-ass or, you know, bumping it. He's just like, oh, yeah, I'm going to throw myself full overhead into this rail with this belly-to-belly. It's fine. This run-through has really given me a new appreciation for Shane Douglas, too. Yeah, he's he's a good little hand. He's a good promo. He's a good character. I really like him. I even, like, have watched some ECW stuff while we've been doing this, Mm. and, like, I was like, damn, this guy rocks. (laughs) Definitely would have been my guy, I feel. 
Why was Sandman wearing a sex shirt during this match, by the way? He wears whatever the fuck he wants, man. He's been ra- he's been wearing Raven shirts half the time. That was a fun little nod. But that was a story thing. Now he's just like, guys, give me a shirt. And he's like, we only have sex shirts. I think he wore shirts. a WCW Raven shirt at one point. Yeah, because there's no TNA Raven shirts. And he wore the ECW shirt. I'll ask the question. When you do a Russian leg sweep while holding a Singapore cane, how's it any different? Well, it has a different name. But how how is how is it different? It's just uncomfortable. Maybe it's just easy to hit. It's not a matter that it hurts more, but it's easy to do. I suppose you could use it to get more force on the leg sweep by pulling him down. Yeah, because you can pull your elbows in that way instead mm-hmm. of having to like wrench him down. I apologize for questioning Sandman's methods. He's right. Yeah. When Tracy came out and she, he hit the pie in the sky off the top, which is like the, the seated senton. <laughs> I hate that stupid name so much. But Mike Tanay at the top of his lungs shouted, She's back! The pie in the sky! <laughs> I really appreciated how respectful the franchise was to tracy as they were going up the ramp mm. like they did their little like pose but then like he's like it's like he was walking out there with his daughter he's like all right let's go <laughs> yeah we had a couple of backstage vignettes with franchise and tracy where tracy's like i'll do anything for you franchise there's nothing i wouldn't do for you i tell you about the daughter comment <laughs> it's a little more creepy in that context <laughs> yeah i meant just like the way that how when they're not doing the characters he's actually quite respectful to her mm. So just a, a nice touch because like for so long you'd see like and you'd hear all these stories about dudes getting away with shit because it was part of the show it was just <laughs> it was uh, it's shocking that it was actually taken aback that I was like oh a guy was just being respectful to someone in wrestling especially in this NWA TNA yeah franchise is is, is a woke <laughs> a woke fave so yeah your new franchise Shane Douglas Michael Shane Tracy Brooks I'm, I'm into this uh, let's head over to tag teams for the month uh, do we have to well, the entire month is built around three live crew winning the World Tag Team titles. Cool. So let's start. There's not much AMW this month. They face Siaki and... Ek- Sorry, Siaki and Ekmo. Siaki <laughs> My favorite, favorite thing this month, honestly, is during that match when Siaki and Ekmo are coming out, JB is introducing them. And he's like, introducing first, Sonny Siaki. Sonny I did miss this. And he says it with such little confidence because I think what happened was he started saying Siaki but then pivoted to Ekmo. So he's like, see, Ek-E. And he loses all confidence in his voice and it's so funny. I found it so funny and I don't know why. To be fair, that was a good interpretation of what this match would turn into as well because it was all just very confusing. It's weird to see like Ekmo just working as a guy Mm. where he's just... He's just a guy. Like, Harris is throwing him around. He's doing backdrops. And, like, Harris isn't small. But, like, Ekmo shouldn't be taking bumps like that. He's, like, the big imposing The blight guy. of the athletic big man. Yeah. He's just like, oh, because you can take a, a backdrop, so take it. Fine. Yeah, I thought this match was well worked until the end and had a good little story, but it, I couldn't get into it. Yeah, and Harris had a great spear on Ekmo for a great near fall. Crowd already bought that. This finish was really weird. So David Young comes out. I meant the Trinity stuff. Trinity gave Harris a chair, which was like, okay, she's turning. But then mm. she distracted the ref so he couldn't win. Yeah. It was just weird. Like, it, it didn't feel like it had any actual method to this madness. It's just like, we want Trinity and Tiaki to have dissension. So that's how we do it. Even if it made zero sense. Like, she had no goal to what she was trying to do there. Because, like, the idea was, I think she was meant to slide the chair into Siaki, but Harris got it. But she just 
gave it to Harris she, instead. She just slid it right in front of Chris Harris. It was just a badly delivered story then. Yeah, but then David Young came out, hit Harris from behind with the tennis racket, allowing Sonny Siaki to pin them and put them further out of tag team battle contention. David Young finally has friends. Well, does he? <laughs> and so does Scott. All the boys are hanging out. Scott Hudson? Yeah. Hudson Hudson was hanging out with David Young and the and the Gilbertian Swinger and Diamond. I was like, ah, oh, they're all the boys. They're all like celebrating together. Sure, but at the point of that promo, he comes back to Gilbert. He's like, I did it. I took out AMW, but and now we have our match against Three LK. And Gilberti's like, excuse me, we're wrestling Three Live Crew. I I like David Young throwing a spanner into like the cohesive unit that this is. Mm, sure, I like these segments. Do you really know Ivy's segments? I don't like the matches, but these backstage segments are fun. Like, I used to enjoy Diamond and Swinger. I like them as a credible, serious tag team. And the David Young stuff is them being comedy goofs, and I have less time for that. As we know, Garrett, I am a huge fan of comedy goofs, and I enjoy these guys. Again, if you were having David Young do his own thing being a comedy goof, I, I might be more on board with it. But the fact that he is dragging down Diamond and Swinger doing it, I know. Ah, oh, well, you curmudgeon. This is actually fun and good. But yeah, later in the show, Trail K defeated uh, Glengoberti and David Young to put themselves again further into World Tag Team Title contention. Well, you've seen my note on this match. Gilberti is jacked. Oh, he is huge. Yes, he is a large man. Like, hell of a body on this guy. This man is doing very well for himself physically. You understand why he was pushed in a wrestling business. <laughs> he does look aesthetically uh, pleasing, I guess. Mm. I want to feel his back. It's going to be my thing now. <laughs> yeah, this is your, you've discovered your new fetish. <laughs> yeah, I just want to feel people's backs and see how similar they are to horses' muscles. Yeah, that's a very specific kind of fetish, but I'll allow it. <laughs> I never said it was sexual. It's It can't not be sexual. I'm sorry. Um, you cannot say, I want to feel your back and it not be sexual. I disagree. A masseuse. I don't know. It's a horny job. The art the art of mas- massage is inherently sexual. It's, in- it's inherently horny. Listen. I don't make the rules. All right. Yeah, Disco hits a people's elbow in this match. Who has a better physique here, Disco or The Rock? Disco. Yeah, yeah, it's fair. Doesn't he have a name for it? It's like the village people's elbow. Yeah. I, I learned that from Days of Thunder. He does the YMCA thing before he hits it. Yeah. Which I don't think he did That's here. That's the only reason I know that is because of Days of Thunder. <laughs> yeah, I don't think he did it here, but he, he, he used to do it that way. Ah, that's fun. Uh, for some reason, like... Killings won with a front suplex, and Don West was very confused, even though it was very clearly a three count. Brainbuster. Was it a brainbuster? And I'm just justifying a front suplex getting a win. No, it was a gourd buster. Oh, I forgot this match. So three, that's your okay command. This Yaki came out, demanded a title shot because they beat AMW. AMW were there; they were giving out about three LK because tension between three LK and AMW is the story of the month as well. As we built this tag title change, and that that's that leads to us. On NWA TNA pay-per-view number 70, or 70 flat, there's a gauntlet match between Ron Killings, BG James, Chris Harris, Sonny Siaki, Chris, uh, CM Punk, James Storm, Glingleberry, ECMO, and Julio De Niro to determine the, or sorry, to Glingleberry and David Young as well. They're in the match. To determine the number one contender, the winner of the match wins number one contendership for his team. Ron Killings wins the match. 3LK are number one contenders. Yeah, the story is that Gilberti and Young were eliminated, but they came back out at the end of the match to cost James Storm the match, allowing Ron Killings to win. With the reoccurring story being that Diamond Swinger, Gilberti, and Young are doing everything they can to keep AMW away from the tag titles. And maybe the team that they're they're stop, uh, they're allowing to become number contenders will backfire against them. It will. We've seen the month. Oh, wow. 
So, yeah, later in that show, Hudson interviews to LK. They're interrupted by AMW, who's like, oh, you got a title shot, but we're the best team in this company, and you know it, that kind of stuff. Or Scott Hudson turns to BG James for some reason to translate what Conan said. <laughs> Which Because BG knows. Yeah, because there's a fun note. Conan got a tongue lashing from management on the show. He cut a promo where he used the Spanish translation of the word motherfuckers. Conan didn't count on Dutch Mantel's knowledge of Spanish from all the years working in Puerto Rico. <laughs> so Conan's just been slipping curse words in all along and suddenly Dutch is here. It's like, wait a minute. He got away with it for so long. I wonder how many times he did this and then no one noticed. Mm. Us, us ignorant people who don't speak Spanish as well didn't notice either. And in paper number 71, we had the title match between Triel K and Diamond and Swinger. But earlier in the show, David Young runs up while they're doing an interview being like, hey, I got myself a match against Chris Saban. Wow. Glenn Liberty's like, what do you mean you're wrestling Chris Saban? He's like, I can do tag teams. I can do X Division. I can do it all. And they're like, no, you can't. <laughs> he wants Disco to manage him in that match against Chris Saban. See, I liked it. It was fun. So we do get that match. Chris Saban versus David Young. Saban beats him in like two seconds. Great match. Perfect. <laughs> Perfect match. Pins him immediately. I think I went three stars on it. Just because it immediately ended. I mean, it was perfect. <laughs> it was literally perfect. The only downside, they restarted it and had a longer match. A slightly worse match, yes. Which, of course, Chris Saban also won. Which I'm sure you were happy to see. I liked it in that backstage promo when uh, uh, David Young ran in. Simon Diamond was just shouting, He's killing our heat! (laughs) Simon Diamond was pretty funny in that. And then Kid Cash ran through. Oh, good. We'll talk about Cash and his weird story with Don Harris in a minute. Your favourite. How dare they feel like they should be friends, not enemies. I'm just saying. I feel like you should be friends. <laughs> hey, leave me alone. <laughs> that could be your trios. So Diamond and Swinger versus BG and Truth went to a no contest after Truth hit Swinger with a German suplex and both sets of shoulders were counted down. So that means the World Tag Titles were for some reason held up. Yeah, that was a weird one. I don't know. Like, what, just shouldn't it be a draw and then go back to the champs? Yeah. Or, well, but to be fair, we have precedent for this, if you remember, because there was the match where. Styles and Lynn lost the belts in a similar way where there's a double finish and the belts were held up. So, like, they've done this before, so it's not like this is this is without precedent. I don't mind it if it has precedent set, at least. It's it's just a weird choice for me, because the next week they do the six-man tag, they do Triel K against Diamond Swinger and Gilberti, and Triel K win to win the tag belts. So why why did you vacate the belts? They were literally killing their heat. Yeah. And it's actually funny, the, the Wikipedia page, it doesn't list the, the vacation. So the Wikipedia is wrong. Get in there and edit. Yeah, I should tell them. It's like, no, the titles were vacated, and then 3LK won them in the six-man tag. Oh, then we can get credited. <laughs> oh, yeah, you've got to be kidding me as the source of that. Oh, we'll have to wait till the podcast goes up. Very good. But a uh, very weird choice that they they went for vacating the belts here, and then the next week, 3LK do defeat Diamond Swinger Gilberti to become the new end of the It just it kills the pop of having them win the titles. Yeah, it's just because they didn't beat the champs. The champs just were stripped of the belts for no reason. Weird, 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 weird. Yeah, so then following week, NWTPA paper number 72, November 26th, 3LK do defeat Diamond Swing and Gilberti to become your new NWA World Tag Team Champions after AMW were on commentary for the match. David Young tried to interfere. They stopped him from interfering. They speared Gilberti on the outside. Then 3LK won the match, won the belts. AMW handed them the belts. And after weeks and weeks of dissension, there is mutual respect between AMW and the Tree Life crew. Until they have to feud, I guess. Yep. <laughs> Three live crew are your new tag team champions, which would have felt cool when they were a really hot, cool, fun stable like two months ago. But now they're like stone cold and I don't care. Yeah, but to be fair, it's not just them as the whole company. It's true. Everything is just extremely cold. All right. I think the only thing we really have left is Kid Cash and Don Harris. Ending on a high. <laughs> nah. 
So the, the Kid Cash has a couple of matches this month. First, he wrestles Shark Boy, where he tries to steal Shark Boy's mask. Oh, we have the Gathering match. First. Yeah, we talked about that. The Gathering defeated Laz and I know, I'm just saying, you said first. And I, I would, we would never want to be incorrect. Yeah, so after the match, Cash tried to attack Laz. He hit him with a low blow. Abyss made the save. That's a setup to Abyss turn cool. later in that show. Then the real matches. Shark Boy. One-on-one with Kid Cash. Kid Cash's new braided hair. He has just come back from uh, spring break. Uh, where's where's all Shark Boy's pals gone, by the way? Well, we we know most of them. That's true. They're... They got canned. And we should we should mention, of course, uh, a, a sadder note of where uh, Shark Boy's pal's gone. Oh, no, I didn't mean... Oh. <laughs> uh, with, uh, Mad Mikey did pass away this month. Yeah, it's upsetting. Because, mm. like, I always... When I had seen Mike, Mad Mikey in this company, I had always... Because uh, I didn't really know when he passed. I was like, I feel like this guy is a guy who would have made the rest of his career here. He was so perfect for it and yeah there, there's notes this month that apparently he was having a very good time in tna he was he was enjoying the vignettes he was shooting and yeah he's he died in pretty tragic fashion yeah he passed away that the november 12th show was dedicated to him uh cm punk had uh mikey on his wrist tape raven had to crash on his chest painted ecmo wore a shirt in tribute of crash so there were a number of tributes to crash on that show but yeah it's a very sad hmm. now to pivot to kid cash again hmm. So yeah, Cash against Shark Boy. Cash wins and tries to steal Shark Boy's mask because apparently he's just doing sex's bidding again. Sure. Don Harris makes the save. So this is an interesting development here. Is it? Well, in that the Harris brothers' mission was to steal Shark Boy's mask. You're right. And now they came in here to protect it. There is no consistency here in NWA TNA. I was like, is when I was watching, it, I was like, oh, is Gary going to pick up on this law? So uh, again, if anything. Kid Cash and Don Harris should be friends. Mm, exactly. They have mutual objectives here. They have both tried to steal the Much Master like Shark you Boy. Stop them. it. Stop it. <laughs> oh, and then last show of the month, Loki faced Kid Cash. Hey, Garrett. Mm-hmm. I'm going to officially retire the, the Nazi bit. Thank you. We've been. It's been 18 episodes. Yeah. I think I can find some new way to insult you. You can bring it up in like two more years and it'll be a callback. Uh, I'll bring it up when um, Exo Lucha launches. Thank you for retiring calling me a Nazi. Uh, yep. Loki, Kid Cash. Do you want to say a few words? <laughs> no. Loki faces Kid Cash. What do you have to say about this match? I enjoyed Kid Cash trying to go chop for chop for Loki and getting his ass kicked. I felt bad for these two. Like everybody else this month. They were trying real hard, but it just didn't. Nothing happened. And I, I, a match that I wish I liked more, but I just didn't click. That's everything this month. With me. There's nothing clicked because yeah, the I crowd mean. are just sleeping. I disagree. Did you see Eric Watts bleed out? <laughs> that clicked with me. I did like Eric Watts didn't want to say ass again this month. <laughs> Eric Watts, wholesome guy. She just doesn't want to curse. <laughs> but he'll say D-I-C-K and then do a little pose. But he spells it. He doesn't say it though. He is a fan of spelling out insults. Yeah. Finish is dad. Loki is distracted by Christopher Daniels. Sorry? On commentary. <laughs> dad? <laughs> You can't just let me to reset, can you? You have to. You have to call me out. We're only three hours. This is into funny. This. I just thought you were calling Loki Dad. Loki is distracted by Christopher Daniels, which is where the dad Christopher came from. Daniels. Daniels was on commentary. Very good on commentary, by the way. Chris Rennes is always very good on commentary. I feel like he would be a good commentator if he ever wanted to move in that direction. One day. Actually, I have a Christopher Daniels point. Go on. I feel like this month, it he really just kind of settled into his Ring of Honor character. Where he's just like a guy? Yeah, he's a guy. He's a little comedic at times. 
but he can bring the intensity when he needs to. Mm. Very much like he's uh, there's been a pivot, and because I was watching him in that triple threat, and I was like, he feels like Ring of Honor Daniels post like initial top heel run. Yeah, he feels like he's just being himself. Yeah, which is not doing the metamorphosis nonsense or the sex nonsense. He's just being Christopher Daniels now. Yeah. But uh, yeah, Cash caught a roll-up after Loki was distracted by Daniels on commentary. Great roll-up, by the way. One of those roll-ups is like, oh yeah, he got him. You believe it. Don Harris tried to catch Kit Cash. Kit Cash ran away. That's the story. He's running away. He fears no man. He comes out with a sign saying, I fear no man. And the next week he put a sign saying, I fear no man, especially not Don Harris. He should come up with one that says, I fear one man. Bracket, Don Harris. So that's that's your Kit Cash stuff. Cool. All right, that's broad topics. Again, all of it is just like hoovered into these three things more or less yeah now we got some some tidbits yeah so let's go show by show starting with nwa tna pay-per-view number 69 nice november nice. november 5th 2003 you got anything from this show shane douglas was referred to as intellectual assassin by mike Tanay. that sounds like some triple h shit <laughs> it was weird in the x division gauntlet everyone got individual entrances but no one got music yeah like, they all came out, they were all announced, but they all came out to the same theme song. It's very strange. Roddy Piper, Scary Hospital Man. Oh, yeah, we had two Roddy Piper interviews on this show, these shows. We should talk about them. So there's the first one where he was standing outside a hospital where he was cutting a promo about how, oh, Vince Russo's gone. I call him Vince Puso or Doodoo or whatever he said. And all I could think about this was, like, this is a real hospital. Yeah. Right? What if, like... My son is ill, mm. and we have to rush him to the hospital, and I'm trying to get in there, and this fucking goofball is screaming at a camera out the front. <laughs> to be fair, I don't think he was being that obtrusive, that if you drove past him, you'd be like, what the fuck? But there's a camera crew, and Ronnie Piper's there, and you're like, Stevie's about to die. I don't know. Stevie? <laughs> That's my kid. Your child Stevie is on his deathbed, yes. Yeah. And, and now I'm too distracted by Roddy Piper, and now I won't even take him inside because I have to. Oh, hey, Roddy, hey, Roddy, man, <laughs> love you. I love I love you working in NWATNA. Oh, uh, those promos—they're the most coherent thing I've ever heard. Yeah, I was, I was a big fan. <laughs> I was a big fan of that Owen tirade you went on. It was crazy. Uh, he does another one on the last show of the month as well, where he's <laughs> what the fuck was this one? He's punching some dummy, and he takes a bunch of shots at Hogan in these as well. Very weird. I guess maybe they they still thought they were going to get Hogan and maybe they were going to do some Roddy finish with Hogan. That probably would have been among the least interesting they could think they could do. It's like, let's go back to Roddy Piper and Hulk Hogan. Yeah, probably. I like this note for him, though. Oh, the word on Roddy Piper's involvement in the company is that the office knows how awful his promos are. But they also feel his name value is strong enough to justify a position on the roster. Which, you know what? Fair enough. Should make him a manager. Where he might actually be able to cut a decent promo. Yeah, if he has, like, you know, direction. Mm. Who would you put him with as a manager? David Young. Shut up. You know what? <laughs> if you made PCO PCO and you had Roddy Piper manage him. Oh, that's a good unhinged team. That's a good act. See, my first idea was Abyss. Mm. But Abyss is too, like, demonic. Uh, you don't think Roddy can get demonic? He probably could, but then Raven will give out to him for stealing Demon Valor. <laughs> Piper with Abyss feuding with Raven? Yeah, that would actually be that would rule. Yeah, I'm into that. Let's go. That would Raven rule. It would. I'm very quickly reading my notes. I wrote Swinger in all caps. I don't remember why. Because <laughs> uh, you're actually starting to get Swinger, Swinger, a little bit. <laughs> oh yeah, there was a line in the last show of the month where he was like, "You go do your X Division things," and he was just short of a daddy of being the regular Swinger character. He said, "You gotta go study your X Division tapes." Yeah, I like Swinger. I like when he's little, he comes out a little bit. His, his swinger voice. 
I liked how Mitchell didn't even like wear gear or the suit for the last man standing match. He just wore a shirt, like a shirt and jeans. Yeah, he looked cool. That's how I'm trying to be when I'm that age. Just going to wear my shirt and jeans and get my ass kicked. Hmm. I wish my hair was that long. Mitchell's mm. got cool hair. In all the run-ins in the main event of the Jarrett and Sting match, Raven threw a super kick on Kevin Northcutt that completely <laughs> missed. <laughs> and he sold it, too. He sold it and it cut. Like, it was so bad that Raven kind of pulled it. And then it made it look even worse. Ah, Raven. <laughs> Completely missed. Let's talk about Raven being at the weirdest, awkward stage of his hair, too. Yeah, it doesn't look great, does it? It's, like, frizzy. And But it's like, we were talking about it on the watch-along. Like, he's a handsome guy with the short hair. Mm. Like, when he had it real shaved, like, down to the skin, I was like, man, Raven looks good. Should have embraced it. Yeah, I think so. But it, to be fair, he, he does get to the stage where he grows it out enough again. So, NWTV paper number 70, the one we did for the watch-along. Again, probably the worst piece of audio I've ever done. TNHad.com. I know there were some uh, Wednesday War Games probably at Unpar. Hey, all of our content is good, I'll have you know. And anyway, we're talking about the worst piece of audio we've ever done. <laughs> so, Don Cast is kind of managing Abyss now. He's, like, soothing him. It's like, it's, a, it's okay, big guy. You can go out there and kill him. It's okay. He's touching his back, soothing him. Yeah, you'd love touching people's back, soothing them, wouldn't you? <laughs> Do you want me to bring the Nazi bit back? <laughs> The big thing for Jimmy Hart is him just shouting why a lot. Why? Why? Yeah, because the whole thing is like, why did you lay down for Hulk Hogan? Mm, insisting everyone wow, chants why. Wow. I was going to say, if you would like extended thoughts about this show, you can listen to the watch long, but I'm not sure you'll get extended thoughts about the show yeah, watching the watch long. I wouldn't. Go listen to Rain Takers. Yeah. NWTA paper number 71, November 19th. It opened with the uh, the usual video package, but for some reason the footage like, was like weirdly washed out. And I was like, did you destroy the tape or did JB just get a sudden like artistic flair? He's like, oh, we're going to wash out the footage. The tape got took damage on the trip to Australia. Ah, of course, when he was sitting in front of Sydney Harbour Bridge. Yeah. Don West does a, a bunch of like DVD pitches where he's like, blood, uh, it's like, oh, this Clockwork Orange is a bloody brawl. How many of these DVDs did you own? I have all of them. I have the best of the bloody sprawls. I have the best of the X Division. I have the best of the NWA title matches. I have the X Division and the bloodiest sprawls. But I had the X Division in the two packs. I don't think it, it's not the straight up DVD. Yeah. It's, it's fun that the, like, those DVDs stayed in print for actually like a surprisingly long time. Yeah, they had them here when I was like a fan. Yeah, and they, they reprinted them in like 2008, 2009. So there you go. That, that would be the versions I got. Also, like when they cut the Don at the commentary table being like, you can get all these things for your friends at Christmas. It's like, oh, Don is Santa. Don is my Santa. Mike is my Jack Frost. I'm going to propose a question to you, Liam. I I do want you to think about it. Okay, I I will try. Does CM Punk in TNA kind of suck? And I don't mean like, is he badly pushed? I mean, is he just kind of bad? Okay, I will say say this. I think his in-ring has been fine Mm. to good. Mm. I think his promos have kind of stunk. Like, I would understand if you were TNA management and you were looking solely at CM Punk's output on this show, I'd almost be like, is Julio Tadero the guy in this tag team? Yeah, a little bit. I know, I like the gathering tags. Mm. If if Punk was getting singles stuff, then I think he would have had a, big, a better chance. I've been really disappointed with his character stuff. Like, the actual overarching story I think has been good, but I think his promos have kind of been a little iffy. I think it's just he's not meant for this. Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure is it that he's not into it. I'm not sure is it that he doesn't really care about this story with Raven and the Gathering, and it's like a retreat of the stuff he's already done in Ring of Honor with Raven. Also, the TNA stuff's probably just kind of a check for him. Yeah. Like, he's getting his big artistic stuff in Ring of Honor. 
But I would have thought he would have been like, oh, this is my platform, you know, but if, if I'm ever going to make it on a national level, it's probably going to be with this company rather than obviously he, he, he did make it on a national level with WWE in the end, but I don't think he would have expected to. Well, I can tell you something that I learned in my through the years listening mm-hmm. was that um, as Punk and uh, Raven were wrapping up their stuff at this time in Ring of Honor, he was going through kind of like a mini crisis of uh, the crisis of faith is not the right term, but he was going like so he's having his artistic vision sort of messed with there because he was getting jealous of Joe and Styles and stuff getting to work the big matches. He was kind of stuck doing the brawls with the Ravens and the Funks and stuff. So I think in general, he was kind of like, I want to go out there and be doing my big 30 minute epics and doing my big cool matches that are big nerd bait stuff. You know what I mean? I think, and if you could see that was his mindset in Ring of Honor, imagine his mindset here. Yeah. So you think he's a little confident shy at the moment? I just think he's not doing the kind of thing he would like to be doing even in his more free expressive place let alone the place where he has to take the most direction yeah where he's like you have a 30 second promo where you give out about raven abandoning you and you have a tag match against laz yeah i think he i think he's he's craving the the work rate stuff and he hasn't been getting that chance in either place yeah this is it's just a it's strange to watch cm punk at tna and just be like you don't see anything you know if you watch this guy yeah. solely in this company you'd never be like oh this is the guy in the same way like if you watch one aj match you're like oh he's the- oh yeah he's the guy yeah but i also think you know he hasn't been put in a position to have that opportunity either cuz he's just been doing multi mans <laughs> that's all he's been doing is multi man tags i still think if you're like like a true great though it comes through and it doesn't here. And it's weird that it doesn't. That, like, Not only does it not come through, but like, I think he's being overshadowed by his tag team partner who's not as good as him. Yeah. I don't know. I feel like if we had have had like one Paul London CM Punk match, we'd have a different take. But like even Paul London was a guy who only did like six minute matches. And even then in TNA, you're like, you saw it, you know? Yeah, but he was still the focus of those matches. He wasn't the sixth guy. But was he really? He was literally the sixth guy. He was in like multi-mans most of the time. No, but most. Of the, but he still got those big singles matches. But they were still like five minutes long. Listen, I'm not having this CM Punk argument at 1.20 in the morning with you. Damn right you are. That's where we are. We're being like, Punk kind of sucked in TNA. He did. I'm sorry. I don't know. I don't think he's... I don't... He, I, I don't think he was in an environment conducive to his talents. I don't think his talents even remotely shone through, though. That's my thing. Like, again, the Paul Lennon example is a great one because he was barely featured. He was on the show like three times, usually in Yeah, but he's, an, he's a performer that's going to be conducive to that environment. Like he's going to thrive in those multi-man X-Division stuff. And in Punk's credit, when he did get a chance to do the multi-man X-Division stuff, I liked his stuff way more. Yeah, but he was in a multi-man X-Division match with Paul Lund. Paul Lund looked great, and he didn't. I think he did. <laughs> fine. Punk apologist this over is just, here. This is, just your, this is just your fucking your follow-up from your revolution take about how you hate everything CM Punk's ever done. Excuse me, I liked pretty much everything CM Punk has done in all elite wrestling until he had a bad match at Revolution that the crowd didn't give a shit about. Everyone was just too busy weeping over the Ring of Honor theme song to actually notice the match yeah, wasn't Yeah, chuck this in your third hour. Throw this in the third hour so no one hears it. Oh, uh, dear. Yeah. But still, Punk, TNA. Yeah. Like, this will be a YouTube highlight, I'll have you know. People might hear it. Make sure you put MJF in the tag. AEW in the tag. You don't think I'm <laughs> slapping a YouTube title of Did CM Punk Suck in TNA? You don't think I'm doing that? Yeah, bracket, no. Close bracket. <laughs> I like my notes during the Chris Saban David Young match where after the first match I was like that is much better than me actually having to watch this match and then when they restarted it 
I'm now upset at having to actually watch this match. Hater of Chris Saban, this guy. I do love my Chris Saban. If CM Punk was Chris Saban level, you know, he'd finally be a good wrestler that I could get behind. That's all I have for that. You got anything else? No. And last show of the month. I'm sick of Jeff Jarrett. That's my prevailing note from this. I just wish he was doing more interesting things. Because I think he's still a reasonable talent. He's just, he's not doing anything. You don't want to hear him cut the exact same promo every week for four weeks. I will say he put a graphic on the screen that said Hulk Hogan, like 1979 to 2003. He debuted in 77, (laughs) Jarrett. You meant his birth year, obviously. No, he was born two years after he started wrestling. (laughs) Yeah, he wrestled in in the balls, I guess. I like that he cut off the 10 <laughs> to Bell Salute. Yeah. Jeff has some, like, good comedy shtick. He's a good performer. I think I like that more when he, like, I don't mind him doing the heel stuff, but I, I like him when he throws in the comedy stuff to kind of break it up. It's kind of the classic thing where it's like, if he didn't book himself, he'd be fine. Yeah. All right, wrap this fucking show up. <laughs> no. I'm like, I'm like Dutch Mantel. I'm telling these kids to go take it home. <laughs> Liam's finding me. Yeah, I'm going to find you $50 so I can buy the next month of TNA pay-per-views. All right, that's November 2003 TNA. Again, another, like, just down cold month. But listen, we had a long argument about CM Punk, so what more do you want? Not to have that argument at 1.30 in the morning. We'll be back next weekend with the Patreon show covering Rinka King. And we'll be back probably later in the week after that with the next episode of Rain Takers. So that's on Patreon, patreon.com slash kiddingme or tnachat.com. You can also, of course, as usual, see the show notes at tnachat.com with the $1 tier. And also our watch along of NWATNA baby number 70 is there too. Whether or not you should actually listen to it is a different question altogether. You can follow us on Twitter at TNAHistoryPod. You can follow me on Twitter at Garrett Kidney. You can follow Liam on Twitter at the Gleet Muda. Thanks for listening. We'll be back in two weeks with the December, that's the month after November, December 2003 episode of You've Got to Be Kidding Me. Thanks for listening. And bye-bye. Do damn thing. This is the story of The One. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.